You're listening to Well I Laughed, part one of Smoke and Mirrors. Now you see me. Why is it on dating apps that it's always the person you want to have message you is never the person that is consistently messaging, messaging you. you? And um, I mean, I know beggars can't be choosers right now. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's lots of people kind of in and out of these DMs right now, mm-hmm. kind of in that fun early stage. Um, kind of like first 10, 15 minutes of Squid Games, you know yeah. what I mean? Um, and uh, no. <laughs> Dating me is deadly to your self-esteem. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Did I, I don't know if I've actually or told you this. Or to grant self-esteem. <laughs> that's, that's the answer. <laughs> I don't know actually if I ever told you this or not. Um, when I was right out of college, first like two, three guys, I forget, first two, three guys that I dated, uh, I was the last guy they dated before they found their forever person. Oh. How am I supposed to handle that? How <laughs> am I? No, it was good. At the time, like I think honestly, like one of the major issues was that like they were kind of like, let's go all the way. And I was like, I'm Ooh. like, I'm like fresh in the world. Yeah. And, and then they found someone that, that wanted that. And yeah. I, and I love love and like a non-ironic way a lot of times. Yeah. So happy for them. But there was a moment where it was like, damn. Oh, by myself. No, it's okay. I have a big social group that thinks I'm funny. So it, it all worked out. <laughs> For everyone. Are we recording? Yeah, 100%. But this is great. I don't think you're nearly as loud as you think you are on the actual audio. Uh, That's pretty loud. That's going to catch it. That's going to catch (laughs) Casey is day zero supporter of this podcast. Mm -hmm. What's so fun is, because for so long... We had a couple episodes, hadn't published anything yet. He is truly our first listener. That's really true. <laughs> he was listening to us in March. <laughs> before we even listened to us. Correct. So before I get into just anything and everything, Maya, what's going on in your world? I had something to say and I can't remember because Casey's making a lot of noise. You know, I think I've shared this before. When I'm trying to give instructions and another kid's talking, even if they're whispering, I have to just look at them and I go, my rat brain <laughs> cannot, cannot process Because I have to think about what I'm saying and then saying it out loud. And the art of teaching will tell you that instructions isn't just like, hey guys, what's up? Like there's an actual like order to the way you're supposed to kind of say things and right. like deliver things to your class. And I can't figure that out if you're like, because <laughs> I'm such a gossip, I want to know. <laughs> <laughs> what are you whispering about? Exactly, what's yeah. going on? Is it funny? Do you want to tell me? Is it dramatic? I can ask the kids to leave if that'll help. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's nothing really new. I mean, I have to go into the office this week for mm. work, which is sucks. <laughs> Just kidding. If you're my coworkers, I love you. It's never the coworkers. That's why you're not excited to go into work. Yeah. It's the driving to and fro and just Wearing generally pants kind of being stuck somewhere. No, oh, hello. You're a good man. No, no, no. I'm going to then that sip on that. Seltzer to cool water. Yeah. Thank you. To cool down. No, 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 no. This will be enough. Thank you. I haven't really had a proper lunch today. So Same. That's why I was eating uh, my leftovers. Have you seen Steven Stonheim's musical company? Or the song, Here's oh. to the Lady who, who Lunch or Brunch. I know Company. I know Stephen Sondheim. Mm. The, that name of the song sounds very familiar. I can't 
I don't know. There is an incredible YouTube version. Sorry, y'all. I tr- never know where we're going to go when we sit down and start recording. Neither do I. No, this memory getting ripped out <laughs> from the back rows. Um, there's an incredible video of it on YouTube. Uh-huh. And it's not like someone in the audience, like they intentionally recorded a production of Steven okay. Sondheim's yeah. company. You can get a couple, but one's better than the others. I was shown it as part of a like first date when I was a freshman in college. Uh-huh. We like sat down on his like broken futon Classic. and he showed me the musical. And while I did not continue to talk to him, you did. I revisit the musical yeah, every now and then. that's super fair. If you get my time, I want something back in return. <laughs> and he got a musical recommendation. <laughs> but I think like we're falling into just what fall's gonna look like, yeah? Systems yeah. and routines. Yeah. Does it look okay? Yeah, it was the last time you cleared storage on it. Well, the last time we did it was the last time we recorded, so I think it'll be okay. I only barely know what we're talking about. <laughs> remember last time it only recorded like the first 10 minutes? I remember you telling me that something like that happened, yeah. Mm-hmm. I haven't edited that episode yet because it, it's there's a lot of mental load on sure. trying to figure out what to do with all that blank space. Mm-hmm. I hear that. <laughs> Is that when I did my American Ferrera speech yes. on, can I redo it for this just to make sure we capture it on video? No, that's a no, that's fine. No, I'm pretty sure actually it was because I think I did see it because I have nice. gone through like the first 10 minutes so I think it was on video I'll let you know if it wasn't and we can read it Maya made the mistake of calling me eloquent today at one point there were strangers around it's not her fault but uh alright <laughs> you continue whatever you were gonna say while I unplug your mic <laughs> no that was it really that was it that was it we, uh, we just recorded with our friends um, over at Sorta Kinda, Kinda Funny yeah. that was a fantastic time sorry that's a podcast Sorta Kinda, Kinda Funny. Funny podcast not a place um, <laughs> It just was really empowering to know that this dynamic isn't unique to us. It made me really happy. Every time (laughs) either of them said anything about how they run the podcast, I was like, I feel so seen. And me and Lauren weren't even really talking about it. It was like you saying something and James being like, that is exactly what happens here. And me and Lauren just kind of looking at each other like, I can't believe we both do this. I'd be like, oh, I don't do that part of the podcast. And James would be, same. And then there'd just be... Shaking anger. <laughs> um, yeah, and here's the thing. I want to say that's tough to hear, but I've heard it and I knew it. I said it. I I, I feel it. like we've also gotten that from like our friends yes. that were like, that's how podcasts need to be. Someone has a personality <laughs> and someone does all the work. You, say, you have such a great personality. I don't know how to take compliments and you know that. So Listen, you, better stop. you are my trusted adult. You're not my only, but you're like now in the circle of trusted adult. Friends and family. Mom, you can hear the story. Uh, <laughs> I went, I don't want to call it a bad date because I don't even necessarily oh, yeah. know if I want to call it a date. But I, uh, In- interaction? I had drinks with a gentleman caller. Um, <laughs> that sounds actually so much worse than what it was. Oh, it's pretty funny though. Um, like and it. had a chance to sit down with them. And I think their soul is great. Like, I, I don't think they're a legitimately bad person. Yeah. I just, it was one of those moments, and those of you dating, I am sorry. Like, two weeks ago, I was like, teachers, we're back at school. And now I'm like, single people unite. Um, <laughs> it was just, we were at such different stages in yeah. our life. And there was a certain element of, like, there was an age gap there. Right. And here, sometimes that can actually be really exciting. Sometimes it's nice to sit down and get to know a person whose world is, like, very different than yours. 
Not what was happening on Friday. I was not interested in his world. He, it was not a universe he wished to add to the multiverse of Grant Thomas. I am just really spoiled with so many interesting people mm. in my life that if you want to like enter, you gotta have something funny. You gotta have to make the cut. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. NFL has a 55 man roster after you know they make the cut in the preseason. Mine's smaller. No! So. <laughs> is he better than the NFL? Some would say yes. So all that is to say, as soon as that day concluded, <laughs> I like ran to Maya's. I was it like, was 11.30 p.m. I was in my pajamas. Was that the time? Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Okay. Yeah, I was in my pajamas like, all right, like maybe I'll sit in bed. Maybe I'll edit some of our reels that I have yet to edit. Maybe I'll read a little bit. And then I get it. I like literally sit in bed, cover myself with the blankets, and I look at my phone. And it's like, bing. I'm on my way over to your house. <laughs> and I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't even think I had told you I was going to be in your neighborhood. No, I had night. no idea. You just said, I'm on my way if that's okay. Right. If not, that's okay. But I have a really funny story. It'll only be 10 minutes. It'll only be like five minutes. We are legitimately good friends who are about to travel internationally. <laughs> and we're both still like, hey, if my friendship's a burden, like I get like, it. And fine. I know it's fine. Like I... <laughs> I wouldn't want to see myself either right now. But like if you are kind of around and like that's like neutral for you. I literally walked into Casey's office and I was like, Grant's gonna stop by for a second. And he went, Oh. Okay. And then I came down here, unlocked the door, sat on the couch and waited. Curled back in and I was like, Maya, Maya, he'd recently bought an acoustic guitar. And then we sang that song from Barbie. <laughs> Which we keep quoting, and we can never remember I don't know the name, the of, the name song, of. I wanna push you around. Do you know what song I always think it is, mm. but it's not? Mm. I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. <laughs> I always think of Wonderwall. Fair. It's never Wonderwall. No, <laughs> so I ran over. We had a fun little gossip sesh. It was and fun. then I was like, at a certain point in the evening, I realized my evening could continue to go this way, or I have frozen pierogies at my house. You know, the Polish dumpling. <laughs> <laughs> And the way he described it was, I can be sitting on the couch regretting one of two things. Exactly. <laughs> At least this way, I'll also get a chance to watch my Big Fat Greek Wedding. <laughs> my favorite movie ever. Are you going to watch the new one? I, yeah, I watched two. I'll watch three. I'm hooked. I'm, I'm in that universe right now. I it makes me really happy. I have an inkling Casey has not watched it. I was on a date once that he's never seen it. I have a feeling he hasn't. He, like, he hasn't seen a lot of like classic like rom-coms. That feels like the exact kind of... Maya has a super cool rooftop patio that yeah. overlooks downtown <gasps> and stuff. That's the exact kind of movie that's you show. Because some people have seen it, and thus you can kind of like chat over it. But there's so many funny bits. Yeah. And you can always tell what's happening in the scene, regardless of if you'd seen mm -hmm, the next, mm -hmm, like the last scene mm -hmm, or not. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's so good. Oh, I'm going to... Yeah, we're doing that. Um, <laughs> My big fat Greek wedding fam. Like, rise up. Hive, rise up. What is <laughs> that oh yeah i don't remember all i my like favorite thing is like the Opa! Opa! when they're like meeting the other family we too. and the bun cake it has a hole in the to, center to this day to this day if i were to call Teresa thomas right now live on this podcast mm -hmm. and i and i were to say the phrase what do you mean he no eat no meat <laughs> that's okay that's okay I make lamb. Yeah, yes. 
Oh my god, I need to watch that movie again. I once said on a date, I was like, oh, and like I've really been enjoying watching some of those like those classic like '90s, early 2000 rom coms. Yeah. And he was like, oh, like what two have you like what not what two, but like what ones have you been watching? Yeah. And I was like, two. I've been rewatching um, my Big Fat Greek Wedding, mm-hmm. and then the Julia Roberts, Cameron Diaz, my best friend's wedding, mm. and they're both so funny and so yeah. classic. And you know what his response was? Oh God. Oh, so like a lot of wedding movies, huh? Ooh, okay. Here's That's objectively oh. not the point. <laughs> Diaries too. She wouldn't have said that. Exactly. Thank that. you. I was like, oh wow. I actually had not seen that thread, but hearing you now say that back to me on this a first date. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Is, I would also see that as a red flag. Not intentionally, but I did raise a red flag there. Yeah. I get that. 100%. I'll bring it back down. Like 100%. the flag at Casa <laughs> I actually don't need more chips and salsa. Thank you so much. I think the, of the real one. I'll know I found a. I know I will have found a real one when saying those two movies isn't immediately like, oh, this guy is ready to like. Yeah. Get hitched. Well, instead, be like, isn't Julia Roberts and Cameron Diaz so funny in that movie? That's true. Do you know what's actually crazy going mm-hmm. back and rewatching those now mm. you forget how radically cell phones and then iphones changed yeah. she is in she's like this like food blogger or whatever mm-hmm. and she's at a restaurant in like the opening scene this isn't a spoiler if yeah. you haven't seen it it's just a great movie and she's like <laughs> writing something down oh because uh, there's no like way to yeah. like food photography or anything she's like writing down her review of a restaurant and one of the hostesses come up to her and was like i'm sorry we have a phone call for you at the front because there's no way to like actually call her yeah. so like the person calling her had like called her like office and was like oh she's yeah, actually at this restaurant was. and then like had to call a restaurant and it's just crazy to see that but in a way that's like take me back like I'm so tired of having phones I also just never want to talk to anyone mm-hmm. enough to make more than one phone call yes yes what I actually like I don't have you ever done this thing where you're like you're driving and you're like it'd be nice to talk to someone right now mm-hmm. so you like make two or three calls but everyone's busy living their lives yeah. aka ignoring phone calls yes and then when they have the social stamina to call they call you but now you're and home and you're like no and I'm like oh I'm sorry that was a moment that was, that's not something that we're doing like a thing I just watched um so you know the opening sequence of Barbie yes the it's a reference to 2001 the Space Odyssey yes when I watched it with Casey, that sequence was playing, and I like leaned over. And I was like, "Do you get this sequence?" Because mm. like, the theater was a lot more quiet than it was on opening night. I love and that I, you were like a film bro, and I you were like, like do, "Do you get it?" I was like, "Do you understand this sequence?" Because I had a feeling he didn't, <laughs> sure. and he was just like laughing along, and he was like, "No, like this is a reference," and I was like, "Oh no, I'm gonna have to watch that movie again." <laughs> And so, Pauses Barbie. Okay, so there's this other movie you gotta see first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so we watched 2001 A Space Odyssey last night, and first of all, that movie is a movie. Um, it's great. Um, cool. So first question answered. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, I can understand. Dads under- love that movie. Dads love that movie. It's yeah. either you love it, like, and you think it is, like, the epitome of modern filmmaking mm-hmm. or you're like why is there so much orchestra music and no talking <laughs> so not a Hans Zimmerman fan huh? well <laughs> I I don't think he's the person who does I don't the music. think so but the music is like iconic <laughs> sure. in its own way but it is like it's Kubrick and so like it's meant to be off-putting so at never at any point you're like wow I am so moved by this the entire time it's like okay 
A lot of anxiety I, in my yeah, body. Yeah, a lot of anxiety in my body that I wish would stop. But no, this has been going on for 20 minutes now. Uh, so, but one of the amazing things about that movie is I always forget that it was like made in the, in the 60s and that they got a lot of physics stuff right, right, which is like very impressive. But there's a scene where like this guy goes into a phone booth, but it's a video phone booth. Mm. And he has to like go in and like, call his daughter or something like that and I was like you know what it's amazing that they figured out that like centrifugal force is the reason that they need to like do the spinning thing and then yeah. it'll like gra- affect gravity and like all this stuff but they didn't figure out that we would have mobile phones <laughs> exactly <laughs> that we would still wouldn't be able to just on demand call anyone yeah they figured to. out that yeah. we would want to like video chat with people <laughs> not a single thought of like maybe they'll have it in their hand and right. that is a very funny thought to me. <laughs> so it's, okay, so this is so funny that you're kind of hitting on this mm-hmm. because I'm actively having this conversation with young people. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in our first debate unit in my classes and we do this really cool topic selection process. So it's like based in student voice and like they get to decide what they want to debate because I'm not covering content, I'm yeah. covering skill. And they chose, a lot of the classes did, to debate cell phone policy. And it's really interesting to see these people who grew up with cell phones being ubiquitous Mm. debate what cell phones are actually needed for. A lot of kids are saying, well, you need cell phones for safety. And I don't know about you, but I didn't have my first cell phone until I was in high school. And I was just kind of allowed I was like a free range child a little bit not yeah. like in like the no, 60s yeah. sense no, but I feel that. like I, I, I told this story to one of my periods I said you know you and the other boys from the neighborhood would all get on your bikes mm-hmm. and you would bike to Shopco yeah before yes. Target got fancy yeah. there was Shopco yeah. and everyone would go in except one who would stay outside with and the watch bikes. the bikes yes. and everyone would go buy Pokemon cards and you would like trade them in the parking lot oh, and then gosh. you would usually bike then to someone's house like bike the next house yeah. where you'd like add them to your deck and like you'd play mm-hmm. a game and you'd come back and you know your parents would like have dinner ready because you yeah. just kind of knew like what to time come home. Yeah. your parents needed mm-hmm. you and they'd be like how was your day because they legitimately yes, didn't, didn't know. know what yes. was going on mm-hmm. and obviously there's like the benefit of like growing up in a community where mm-hmm. that was like you felt safe yeah. and we had bikes which was a really yeah. nice thing but I was looking at them and I was like you know you would leave in the morning and it's not that our parents were absent it's not like there it's was no one it wasn't home. necessary mom I swear you're a good mother I'm not saying you abandoned us that is I not agree. what I'm saying <laughs> but I was like you know all of the parents would be home and then yeah. you could see us take it's off true. you yeah. know and yeah. maybe you'd be like hey can we're gonna go to shopco you know because mm-hmm. you're about to cross a major street yes. um and that's just the chance to be in a place where your parents don't immediately know where you are a lot of young people today don't have that yeah. and i think you see that in like the way they carry themselves mm-hmm. like if we were at the park and like an adult talked to us there was an expectation for how we were supposed to talk to them and also just kind of have like an eye out for our own yeah. safety because you know if something went wrong at the park, and not like kidnapping, but like Griffin jumped off the third story slide and now he's hurt on the gravel, yeah. help comes as fast as I can bike home. Yes. You know? Yes. Yeah, that's super fair. Yeah, like looking back on it, I feel like every time people are like, oh, well, when I was a kid, like, not, like, nothing really mattered, and like we could do everything. And I was right. like, did I really have that? And then I remember like, I would go and bike like, down a trail mm-hmm. with my, like, neighborhood friends. I would go and, like, catch crawdads. Yes. And I was like, that, that is a crazy-ass experience <laughs> that I don't think I really fully appreciated time, until, no. like, now as yes. an adult where I was like, okay, like, no one really needed to know where I was right. at that point because, like, 
like respectfully, I was like relatively safe. Right. And yeah. the unspoken part about all of this was like, were there times we were doing things we weren't supposed mm-hmm. to? Of course. That's Absolutely. kind of called childhood. Yeah. But it's like you learned how to get away with it, you learned how to hide it. Or if consequences came, you learned how to deal with the consequences. Yeah. I remember my friend's younger brother, we were there's like this tree in the like park area by my house and it had been struck by lightning multiple times and so it was all warped and Mm -hmm. stuff which made it perfect for climbing absolutely but it's only safe to like climb up the first couple levels and of course the younger brother like tried to climb up as far as he could and he fell off one of the branches and like broke his arm and learned a consequence he figured it out yeah he did not go back up there (laughs) not pro arm breaking but pro like living a little bit of life you know yeah i've once sprained my ankle so bad on a hike that like I legitimately could not walk the next day and probably maybe you should have like mm-hmm. seen medical attention yeah. a mile and a half away from my car you just gotta you just gotta gotta kind of live yeah. this life and so I tell these stories to my students and they're like they look at me like a time wizard I'm like and then we went to school and 9-11 happened <laughs> <laughs> I have like all these like living memories of yeah. not only like world events that happen but like um just what life was like fundamentally Mm -hmm. differently than what it was now like one kid was like oh yeah and like michael jackson he's even like alive and i was like i know michael jackson's dead because i know where i was when michael jackson died and they're like where were you and i was like i was in like disneyland for like this like school trip thing and like everyone kind of got the news at once kind of stuff and it spread like through the park and that's like how i knew that michael jackson died and do you know what that teed off for them Mr. Where were you when so and so died? Mr. Do you remember when so and so happened? Mr. What it was all like. What does what does our time wizard of a teacher no. remember about the past? Oh my God, that's so funny. And so it's I don't know. It's great to work with young people. It is also like our income. Like they're eighth graders now, so next year they'll be freshmen uh, that were born in 2010. Mm mm. No. Yeah. No, I refuse I that. know, right? Yeah. And that's time for you. So welcome to the podcast, I guess. I don't know. Um, Hated that. <laughs> I remember Michael Jackson dying. I don't think I remember where I was when, when he died, though. makes you older, even children get older. I think that what I Singing really remember podcast. is the people coming out <laughs> shortly after Michael Jackson died, mm. saying that he had, like... Mm-hmm. You know. Which was also before, but then now you could kind of more freely yeah. talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I also remember, <laughs> wait, no, I also remember because I, I was, I don't remember like how old I was when Michael Jackson died, but I do remember that I did not know that he was not white. Mm, I think yeah. until after he died, Famous they started, black yeah, singer, yes. until they started like going through all of like the videos of him as he got famous. And I right. was like, wait a minute. And then my parents had to explain to me like, oh, well, he like got all these surgeries and right. stuff and like nuts. <laughs> it's crazy. The age gap between us is not huge, but sometimes it feels like it. No, that's fair. That's super fair. I don't. Here's the thing: not to be like my students, but I'm going to ask you this question, and then I would love to hear your story for the week. I love your stories. Do you remember Hurricane Katrina? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember because like my elementary school had a bunch of like donation stuff nice. for okay. them. Yeah. So you yeah. remember like doing things for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hate that memories are always like, you remember this national tragedy? Okay, well, what about that national tragedy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like I know and like, I mean, already I have students that were born after Obama first got elected. And I remember watching that get called in my parents' living too. room. Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we check in and we're like, we have crazy stories from our lives. And this has just been like my and I grappling with the uh, 
constant march forward of time, which fits into really well into this week's theme. Smoke and mirrors. Question mark. Did we even announce that on the last episode? Did we? I haven't finished editing it, so I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure. We'll find out. (laughs) Yeah. The theme is smoke and mirrors, and it's my theme. This is like episode 20 for us, and I still don't even remember like the opening speech and the closing speech for what we're about to do. Yeah, that's fine. I am excited about smoke and mirrors. I feel like we could take it a whole bunch of different directions, and I'm excited to hear what Maya did, because dear listener... When Maya picks the theme, she then gets the first story. And we go back and forth, and it's fun. So uh, she told me the theme, and I have this, like, loose constellation of ideas. And then whenever she picks a story, and I think you probably do this too, Mm -hmm. I then try to pick something as far removed and dissimilar to that as possible. Yeah. Sometimes. <laughs> Most of the time I just go through my list of like, rec- like things that I know I want to talk about. I'm like, how can I make that work? The type A and type B people yeah. coming together. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm always kind of out here like free for a minute. And Maya's like, I am moving through a checklist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like looked at my list the other day and I was like, damn, I have a lot of stories that I like want to cover. And Casey was like, well, you could like give some to Grant. And I was like. Oh, <laughs> they're on my list for a reason. Also, we have a shared list right. uh, from our listeners. Which my list love. is my list. <laughs> also, dear listener, as Maya pulls up the last details, I've loved the like individual stories we've got. Oh I would gosh. also love oh, yeah. to hear your theme recommendations because the theme recommendation is even bigger stakes because it's all three of the episodes will have to be centered in that. And the first two that we did, you picked the story. Mm-hmm. I heard it and yeah. I was like, Oh, so the theme's like illegal drinking, and we went from there. Yeah. And then the second one was like, <laughs> Cocaine Bear had just came out, so mm-hmm. I was like, Surviving the Wild or whatever. Yeah. And so the first two we just stumbled into, into kind and of. now we're like, oh. Wait, what's the science behind this? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so I have a couple things. I'm going to announce the new Patreon nice. subscribers. But I have a friend from college named Rachel who listens to the podcast, and I wasn't like super close with her in college. Um, or anything like that, but we've like communicated every once in a while, like through college. And now she like texts me cause she listens to the podcast and she sent me this message and I haven't opened it till now because I knew if I opened it earlier, I would forget. Cute. Um, but she said, hi. Okay. A funny note about millennials slash slash Gen X and their Facebook in- invites. Here's a quick tidbit of my life. I love how family notifies me in timely fashion of noteworthy events. For example, I just got a Facebook notification to my great Aunt Rose's funeral. (laughs) (laughs) I guess she died last Monday. Just found out. I guess. By Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) It was Rachel. Yeah. Rachel, that's so real. Can I share a story related to this? Yeah. I'll keep it super short. Yeah. The uh, My first, like, true best friend. Not, like, elementary school and our last names both start with T, mm-hmm. so we're in the same class. Yeah. But my, like, true first best friend came at the end of my sophomore year of high school. Mm-hmm. I had a car at the time. Oh. But I also had a job at Super Saver, the discount grocery store. Yes. And I got a Facebook invite for this person who I, like, kind of knew for their 16th birthday party. But it was going to be, like, a big deal or whatever, right? I just remember seeing the time that the party started and my shift was still going on for two more hours. So I knew I was going to show up late. Yeah. And that sucked. And so shift ended. There was like a t-shirt I had packed in my car. I think I changed in my car. Right. And I drive over and I knock on the door 
And I'm like, hey, like, thank you so much for inviting me. Like, I'm, I'm here uh, for your party. Um, and again, we're like acquaintances. I'm going because the guest oh, list is like 150 no. people. Y'all, I'm two hours late, but I'm also a week early. Oh, my God, no! <laughs> and she's like, oh, hi. Um, that's not happening until next week. But I actually have a couple of friends over if you, like, want to hang out with us. And I'm like... Okay. <laughs> like, and then, like walk. I like. I've had like a conversation and a half with this person, but I like walk downstairs and do the speech and debate world. I've always been a nerd. Um, I like kind of know the other people there, and then that night, folks, I fucking turn it on. I'm like razzling and dazzling <laughs> and things like that. So fast forward a week later, I show up again at the same time for the party. And now I'm like, already have all these inside jokes with a handful of people. Oh. And they're like, oh my God, we're so glad you're here. I was waiting to tell the story about what happened until you got here. And um, me and her name is Sam. I'm going to keep her last name uh, a secret. But me and Sam became like instant best friends. And she, yeah, and then our, here's the beautiful thing too. I, gosh, she has, She's wonderful. Again, like I said earlier on this episode, I have so many just like really cool, wonderful, interesting and inspiring people. Sam went off to Chicago to get her undergraduate and then UT Austin for her master's degree in like creative writing and poetry. And so with all of this education and all of these credentials, a phenomenal writer, she moved to the Texas-Mexico border to become a river guide to help fund her true passion, which is to write poetry. And so every year I like show up and I give her like my offering, which is the biggest thing of Lucerne, like heavy moisturizing. I'm like, here you go, cactus friend, moisture from, from the civilized world. And then we hike Big Bend <gasps> National Park and we canoe that. down the Rio Grande and we talk about what, you know, because obviously dating in Denver and dating on the U.S.-Mexico border. It's very different. A lot of, a lot of, it's actually surprisingly some similarities. <laughs> oh. Men are the same everywhere. Um, but also some differences. And then like last time that I was there, she was seeing this guy. I think they're still seeing each other, but he basically lives in one of those earth ships. You know what I'm talking about? She's just always been so cool. And the older I get, I have like a pension I've started my ninth year teaching. Yeah. I feel so provincial. And I go down there and I'm like, your life's so cool. And I think there's elements of our lives that we're mm -hmm. both jealous of the other one yeah. for. Um, and she's just wonderful. And it all so it all is because I showed up a week early and two hours late to her party. That's so funny. <laughs> because I didn't read the Facebook invite nearly as well as I should have. So Rachel, I'm glad that we both have been traumatized. <laughs> My Facebook invites. I'm sorry your grandma died. This is great aunt. Great aunt, okay. Okay, um, I'm not 100% sure where I left off with the patrons mm. that I read last time. So, we're going to start where I think I left off, which is starting with Sam. I don't have the last name. But our new patrons are Sam, Noel M, Jillian M, Izzy K, Riley C, Caitlin M, and a different Caitlin spelled differently, E. So thank you guys so much for your support. We love you all dearly. And if you're interested in supporting us, our Patreon is While I Laughed podcast. We're ready to go. Did you just check your dating app while I was reading the new Patreon? I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> They've all heard from me already. I was reading like a list of less than 10 names. And he said, you know what? This would be a good time to do. And we were both ready at the same time. 
see what this man I want to hold pumpkins at a pumpkin patch with someone. Okay. I'm now on the record many times with that. Anyway. <laughs> This is a story that I've wanted to cover for a while. <laughs> for those of you who are concerned and are going to message us later, we're not ending the podcast. We love each other. <laughs> you don't need to tell us to continue. I mean, we would love it if you did. The words of affirmation are actually really crucial. Because really we can't handle compliments, and so thus we are not nice to each other. It's true. So we need <laughs> other people it. to be nice for us. Um, some exciting messages. I mean, if we're going to just talk about it openly... I'm excited to eventually be able to respond to them, but they need a bit of wait time. Oh, I love that for you. <laughs> okay. So, we're going to start my story in... Also, this is going to be probably a long one. Ooh, fun. Sorry. Do I get a guess at the start? Yeah. I love that. I, like, legitimately Yes, you love do that. get to guess at the start. Okay. okay. I just had to make sure that I, like, put in a spot. <laughs> I, like, have to format them in a specific way to give you enough information to let you guess, but okay. not... Yeah, okay. So I, I did that. I was panic finishing these notes because my brain thought I could finish them in, like, the three hours I had before Grant came, and then mm. I looked at my notes and went, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was literally writing notes until five minutes before Grant showed up. It's my Late. note from, like, last episode where yeah. it was like, Gwyneth Paltrow ate bread. Circle back later. <laughs> I was like, okay. Yes. The, the last couple things I need to talk about, <laughs> the last couple things I need to talk about, I know for a fact did not make it into note mm. format, just got copy-pasted directly from the source because I was like, we'll remember it. I got today's articles from the Denver Post and the New York Times. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yes, okay. So we're starting the story. We're in the United States. Okay. 1920s. Oh, okay. Yep. End of World War One. The murder trust, Michael Malloy. Mm-hmm. How did I, did I do, did yeah, I get it right? Yeah, we're covering good. that story okay, again. Okay, good. <laughs> Real back. Third time? Third time's the charm. <laughs> I'll get it all this time. Okay. Um, so we're after World War One, and spiritualism is sweeping America. Okay. Um, and Europe, but that's not what Can we're talking about. Can you do that in a transatlantic accent? Spiritualism is sweeping America. Yes! <laughs> I didn't think she was going to do it. I was in the back of my mind planning the backup. So much better than what I was going to run. Good. Okay, so this is actually the second big wave of spiritualism to sweep America. The first wave came after the Civil War. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you know why spiritualism is sweeping the nation after World War One and the, the Civil War? Because the horrors of those wars was yeah, like, crazy. I think I actually need to kind of find God right now. <laughs> so specifically, <laughs> spiritualism is can be paired often with like Christianity and other religions, but it's a religious movement based on the belief that you can interact with the, the dead. I love that. Yes, the living can interact with the dead. And so it became a big thing after World War One and the Civil War because a lot of people had friends and family that died in those wars. Right. And so now they're thinking, like I would love to talk to them one last time. Right. And so it became a big thing after those wars. Many people would attend seances hosted by mediums um, because that's the way that you contact the dead. Mediums are people who can feel as if the like veil between our world and their world is they're thinner. They're the bridge. Yeah, they're the bridge. Um, spirits can contact the living through them, um, et cetera, et cetera. They're very similar to a psychic, but not the same. Okay. I learned in my research. <laughs> Apparently it's like rectangles and squares. It's like every medium is a psychic. Not every psychic is a medium. Mm. Um, and I didn't get too far into it. But not all bullies are gay. All, all gays, gays are, are bullies. bullies. Yeah. We're going to put that on a shirt. That feels <laughs> fair. Feels right. Yep. Okay. So now we've covered that kind of background knowledge. Um, specifically, we're going to go to July 1st. 
1925 in okay. New York City. New York City. Thank you, yes. <laughs> I was like, so good. <laughs> that's everything you say is now how. Uh, New York you, City. You have a little microphone yeah. in front of you, too. So I just keep hearing it in like a transatlantic. transatlantic. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> okay, so we are at the home of a one Mrs. Cecile M. Cook. Okay. Uh, Miss Cecile Cook is hosting a seance in her home. Okay. She had gained some local notoriety as a medium. Okay. Do you, so you know how some mediums use specific methods to like talk to the dead and let the to- dead talk through them. Sure. Okay. I mean, I guess I would assume. I didn't. I don't. Okay. I know actually shockingly little about mediums okay. for a person as whimsical as I am. So we're gonna get. That's. Yeah, we're gonna get into it. Okay. <laughs> so a lot. So have you heard of automatic writing? No. So. Is it when like a person takes over for you and you're like, mm-hmm. give her more money? Yeah, basically. Okay. <laughs> yeah, when a spirit is talking through a medium, they'll like write on the paper, and so it's not the writer writing; it's the spirit writing through them. So I feel like we're gonna at least here very shortly learn a lot about mediums. So I have to actually ask you a question. Okay. Did you ever, as a kid, watch that like ABC show Medium starring Patricia Arquette? I don't think so because I was raised really religious and mm. I don't think I was allowed to watch that kind of thing. That is something that I would watch now. Right, 100%. Yeah. Here's the thing. It was actually a really good show. Yeah. And it's a show that you've seen a hundred times, but this has Patricia Arquette in it. Mm. And she's a medium and she can see just enough of a crime to make her interesting, but right. not enough for her to solve it in five yeah. minutes. Mm-hmm. And so she's like part of the police department, but not. And then also... Sounds like psych. Her like marriage is struggling. Oh. Um, because it's an ABC family show, so it's like outside of work, marriage is also work, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't know. But uh it's yeah, just fair. and I remember my parents loved watching it. And same. Like oftentimes ABC family, I think, is like a little corny. Yeah. I remember at a time being like wrapped. I'm like, this is storytelling at its finest. <laughs> Fast forward, we have Grant today. <laughs> <laughs> Unmarried. Whatever else you want to call it. Love's drama. <laughs> the, the amount of silence after unmarried, we're like, well, gosh, how do I conceptualize? <laughs> how do I conceptualize this? <laughs> he, he's 30 and he's becoming a burden to his family. Every, he has no prospects and no money. I'm 29 years old. The BBC version is better. It's true. Every time we do a guest recording, I'm always afraid, like, well, there went all the magic. Like, this episode's about to be so plain. Nope. Grant has a lot to say. <laughs> I just honestly love this so much. <laughs> Thank you okay. for being here. You no. had things to say. Yes. So there are a lot of ways that a medium can communicate with the living uh, from the dead. One of them is automatic writing. There are others that are like rapping, tapping, all that kind of jazz. This one I had never heard about. Miss Cecile Cook is a trumpet medium. <laughs> <laughs> I can't say anything else because I just went on like a four minute tear. So you got to say more words. Okay, so she opens the seance. We're in her home. She like, opens. Burr, 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 burr. <laughs> what do you mean she opens the seance? No, she, she opens the seance, introducing people into her home. And hear go, ye, hear ye. Are there any spirits amongst us? <laughs> so she says. Through the power given to me by the Lord, I am able to converse with dead spirits who manifest themselves through these trumpets. And she motions the two trumpets <laughs> on the small table. I'm here. I'm here for everything you're saying. The lights turn off. Seance begins. I'm 
I'm sorry, am I at a medium or just like an AJR concert right now? <laughs> it's true, they do have trumpets and I love them. <laughs> um, and so she begins the seance, the lights are off. Those who come to the seances are looking to get answers to any of life's questions. <laughs> oh, no, I was looking spirits. for this sick beat. <laughs> Christ. Okay. Um, and so Cecile Cook opens it up to the members of the seance saying, like, do you have any questions? Uh, one of the participants is an older woman. She asks, I ha- I've had a problem with my throat. What should I do? Because obviously when you're at one of these seances, you want to be vague because you don't want to give the medium too much. Right. right because prove that her trumpets know the truth. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Um, And so a spirit answers, ironically not through a trumpet, I don't think, why you have tuberculosis. Okay. Oh, that's like super contagious. (laughs) No! (laughs) Oh, in this room full of wind instruments? Okay, continue. um, And then unprompted, a second spirit voice whispers, Dad, you have had a very, very hard time, but it is all over, and I will take care of you and brighten up everything for you and make things comfortable. A crippled old man who's at the seance recognizes the voice, sits up, and said, Is that Alfred, my son? They're speaking through the trumpets? I think they're just speaking at this point. So so she's like, welcome, these are my trumpets, (laughs) let's hold hands, and then just like, you hear voices in the room? And I think at some point they do play the trumpet? I'm not sure how this, the trumpet plays in. I'm not gonna, maybe she is speaking through the trumpet? Do I need to detach my, because I am laser focused on these trumpets right now. Oh, I am too. And I still, I did a lot of Googling, could not figure that one out. I love it when we do research stuff like this, and you're like, what was obvious in the 1920s that is baffling a hundred years later? I don't really know how the trumpets played in, but we'll get there in a second. Okay, Okay. so either she's voicing it, or Crystal Ball, or there's a voice in the corner, something. So a crippled old man recognizes the voice. Is that Alfred, my son? Alfred begins to answer through the medium's trumpet. I don't know what that means. Um, the old... <laughs> yes, it is. I know actually a shocking number of trumpet songs turns out. <laughs> okay. So the Alfred begins to answer through the trumpet. The old man jumps up from his chair which is strange because he's crippled. Right. Shines a flashlight at the medium. I don't know they had those in the 1920s. Yeah, neither did I. Um, (laughs) At the medium who had the trumpet to her lips. Okay. Obviously, that's not what this is supposed to be. The spirits are supposed to be talking through the trumpet, not the medium. So he goes, you have the trumpet in your mouth. I thought the spirits were speaking. Mrs. Cook throws the trumpet, falls to the floor. Someone cries, you killed the medium. Miss Cook cries, I'm killed. I'm killed. <laughs> One of Miss Cook's friends who was in the seance, idea, like theoretically there to help her, jumps up to try and grab the old man. The old man throws... <laughs> <laughs> You're a fake. <laughs> I'm dead. <laughs> you killed her. <laughs> the old man... <laughs> I pull the same shit in my classroom. Oh god! Hey, Panics. that's a really great answer. I'm gonna call on you in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Who has the answer? <laughs> so I'm 
killed, I'm killed. One of Miss Cook's friends who's there to help the seance jumps up to try and grab the old man. The old man throws down his cane, rips off his white wig, removes his glasses, and proclaims the medium a fraud and reveals his true identity. A detective and a policewoman also stand up from the table and arrest Mrs. Cook for obtaining money under false pretenses. Do you know who this man is? They did a sting operation to prove she wasn't real? Okay, you want, is it J. Edgar Hoover? No. Okay, give me one more guess. It's not like Charles Lindbergh or something, right? Who is it? He says, and I quote, I am Houdini and you're a fraud. (laughs) (laughs) What a reveal. (laughs) We are 35 minutes into this episode and we have finally, what a reveal. Oh my God, is this episode about Houdini? (laughs) Okay, I really do got to let trumpets go, but that's nuts. Oh my, I'm like body excited right now. This episode has so many fun facts about Houdini. (laughs) And I tell them all the time now because since I started researching this story. Apparently you and I have not been around each other that much recently. (laughs) I'm, you know, as soon as I realized it was Houdini, I was like, actually, oh, Actually, I do kind of got some outstanding questions about that guy. It's not like a thing I've like wrestled yeah. with in the car, but now that I know I'm going to have that opportunity, yeah, let's get into it. Oh, yeah, cool. yeah. I uh, also just love the <laughs> like the RuPaul's Drag Race like costume reveal. You are a fraud. I'm I'm killed. I've been killed. Don't... I'm dead. You can't arrest me if I'm dead. <laughs> the trumpets are on loan. <laughs> Oh my god. Okay, okay. okay. Is he... Okay, I know you're about to tell us everything, Mm -hmm. but just to help clarify, in that story you just shared, Mm -hmm. is Houdini a police officer? Nope. Or just an angry magician? Yes. Okay. Kind of. Okay. Okay. So he pulled... But then he has police people with him. Mm -hmm. Because it is technically illegal to get money from people under false pretenses. So the police are like, well, we can't pull off such a difficult (laughs) acting job. But we can call it a professional. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So this story is divided into two sections. So I'm going to need you to forget about the spiritualists. And I know that's going to be hard for a while. I wish I could be a fly in the room when he like throws the flashlight on her face. And she's like, ooh. (laughs) Like right so there. Like, it's like, like ratatouille. <laughs> the kitchen. He's like, his big Cause you, Because a human forest. response is just to freeze there yeah. for a second. <laughs> oh, she wants to play now. <laughs> <laughs> this is back to our cheese rest cake, cheese rest cake thing. Where it's like every human has had this experience and no one is talking about, about that's what unites us. <laughs> yes. Okay. So. We're going to talk about the life and times of Harry Houdini, famous magician and escape artist of the United States. So, Harry Houdini was born on March 24th, 1874 as, oh gosh, I was meant to look this up. I think it's Eric Wise. Okay. It's spelled very strange. It's Can spelled, I ask how it's spelled? E-H-R-I-C-H. E-H-R-I-C-H. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. And then Wise is W-E-I-S-Z. W-E-I-S-Z. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he was born in Budapest. <laughs> Just like there's a lot of like Czech names in Nebraska, you know. Yeah, so like, I know okay, how to say Wadachewski, yeah. for mm-hmm. example. It's <laughs> <laughs> the name of my one of my actual friends. I have yeah. I have one. Oh gosh, I can't remember her last name. Well, whatever. Um. Anyway, when they moved to the United States, um, Wise as W E I S Z was changed to Vice W E I S S by immigration officials. So W V. W-E-I-S-S. Oh, E's so much more regular. Okay. Yes, yes. By immigration officials. Um, His nickname was Airy in his childhood, and this eventually transformed to Harry. Okay. So that's how we get Harry. His family immigrated from Hungary to the U.S. in 1876, and they first lived in Appleton, Wisconsin. They got there. Yeah, because um, Airy's dad was a rabbi. (laughs) Do you Sorry, know so who actually has a huge connection to Appleton, Wisconsin? Oh, gosh, no. Friend of the pod, <laughs> Danny. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, has, I think, dated or at least had dinner with every gay person who has ever lived <laughs> in <laughs> Appleton, <laughs> Wisconsin, <laughs> to the point where it is a running gag in our friends. <sighs> Danny. We love you. We love you dearly. Because <laughs> you are it still is... a listener. I feel like we haven't really trashed Danny recently, like Enough. we did in the first couple episodes. <laughs> Yeah. If you're we'll a gay there. person in Appleton, Wisconsin, and you don't know my friend Danny, you can I have a recommendation yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> He'd probably be, love to know you. Absolutely. Okay. Slide into our DMs. We can, we can connect you. Yeah. <laughs> so at first they lived in Appleton, Wisconsin, and then they settled in New York City at some point. Um, I think when he was around age eight. So he was forced to help make ends meet um, because their family was very poor immigrating to the US, but he did so on his own terms and he loved performing. So he became a trapeze performer at the age of nine. He debuted in a neighborhood circus as Eric, the Prince of the Air. And one of his- That's a cool name. That's like a Game of Thrones name. Right, the Prince of the Air. Okay. Okay, one of his other early jobs was as an apprentice locksmith and so he was fascinated by all locks and he carefully studied and memorized how each one worked what really useful information that internship probably turned out to be first intern in the history of ever to learn anything from their internship yep did i ever can i use this as a second to talk about Mm -hmm. internships how many pages do we have in front of us still Oh, okay. I'm going to keep this story (laughs) pithy. I uh, interned in Washington, D.C. when I was a freshman in college, like Mm -hmm. the summer after my freshman year. And that was cool. And I worked for my state's U.S. senator at the time, one of the last Democrats to represent the state. I'll keep it anonymous, but literally a single Google search will figure it out. Um, (laughs) And my job as an intern was to give constituents tours of the Capitol. Mm -hmm. Because you can go through the Capitol to get tours of the Capitol, or you can go through your local senator's office, and you'll Mm -hmm. get a much more personalized experience and I didn't learn anything in that internship but what I would do is I would bring them in front of Senator my Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell's office and then I would pull the crowd like right outside the office what reptile Senator McConnell looked like and I was always trying to cue up Turtle you know it's like a private tour essentially so you kind of try to jazz it up a little bit go off script and for whatever reason 19 year old me was like this is a perfect chance but also like Mitch McConnell's like the last horcrux of some of awful disease and his damage to American democracy. I'm completely fine with the mean things yes. I said outside of Mitch McConnell's awful. It's just also crazy. I was allowed to say them. <laughs> Love Did that internship. 
See that he froze again? Oh, 100%. Okay, so yes. I was I was working and I often will just have the news on in the background while I'm working just for some background noise and the the day after he froze for like the second time in a month. It's now yeah. like three times in the last right. like six months. Oh, that he's you mean frozen. the times where he's clearly shown signs of a stroke? Yes, yeah. exactly. But the way that CNN played it was just video <laughs> after video after video. So it was like three straight minutes of Mitch McConnell not saying anything. <laughs> and every time I would look up thinking that maybe like the TV was like, are you still watching? And no, right. it was just Mitch McConnell staring into blank air. And I was like, why? I can't even scratch the surface of what I want to about this whole yeah. conversation and like what is it like to cheer for the downfall of an evil person and like yeah. should we have anything about health and human and things like that and I just my official stance is that when I was 19 years old I was standing outside his office <laughs> I was like, and this motherfucker looks like a turtle <laughs> anyways anyway. here's the rotunda <laughs> <laughs> I love that for you. Resist. Yeah, that's Grant's here now. Yeah. And I work I don't work in politics anymore, so no damage oh, yeah. to the career. So I think earlier I said that they emigrated to the US in eighteen seventy six, and I think that's actually the year that they emigrated to New York. New York. Oh, okay. So I think I got that back flipped. I'm not sure which year they emigrated to the US. Anyway. Um in the late 1880s, he performed in vaudeville with little success. Mm, do you know okay. what vaudeville is? Yes, I do. Yeah, you want to tell the people? Uh, vaudeville is... Because <laughs> I didn't know. It is professional little bits. Yes. If you ever thought of like a person playing the piano as a second person's hand gets slammed by the piano, that's vaudeville. Mm -hmm. um, that's what makes it hip-hop. Yeah. Um, <laughs> such a deep gut reference. I was like, here's actually something that's interesting about vaudeville. Someone has said TikTok today is oh. modern vaudeville because it's a series of quick little acts happening in front of you mm. where the audience gets to decide how long the act goes on for. Because if the audience had like a negative reaction to a they, vaudeville act, you could stage. immediately change it. Yeah. It was like improv but scripted and you had like main characters mm -hmm. and it was a really interesting style of like traveling performance. I've lost it in the sauce. Are you again. saying I've gotten, like, all nerdy. is a vaudeville? <laughs> There's a the villain gorilla. they employ, and it's a gorilla. gorilla. <laughs> okay, so... Hey, do you know who else did a couple of little bits? Jesus. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is back. Oh, my God. <laughs> we're, we're never going to get through these notes. No, I know. <laughs> I'm like, hope you can skip some of this stuff. I'm having too much fun. <laughs> So yes, vaudeville um, is described as a farce. It's a funny play about ridiculous situations and events, often with music. Right. Light entertainment popular in the U.S. from the mid-1890s through the 1930s consisted of 10 to 15 individual unrelated acts, magicians, acrobats, comedians, trained animals, jugglers, singers, and dancers. Beautiful job. Good job. Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> 1891, Eric rediscovered his love for magic and teamed up with Jacob Jacob Hyman in an act called, quote, Not <laughs> Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt. <laughs> Sorry. There's so much to that name. <laughs> Poor Jacob Hyman. <laughs> Not even touching on the other part. You gotta go. And they named their act, quote, The Brothers Houdini. The name Houdini mm. was taken from a French magician named Jean Eugene Robert Houdin. Um, 1892, Eric's father dies, and 18-year-old, what would be Harry Houdini, takes his act on the road. The brothers Houdini did typical stage magic, 
card tricks, sleight of hand, and they would do this anywhere that would take them. They were desperate. <laughs> they would do it at small museums, theaters in upstate New York, at what they called dime museums all over the Midwest, um, upstate New York, anywhere. 1894, so two years later, Harry Houdini's younger brother, Ferenz Desco, whose nickname was Dash, replaced Jacob in the Brothers Houdini for a short time until Harry meets Wilhelmina Rahner in the same year. He marries her. She serves as his... <laughs> what just fell? I don't know. <laughs> a hair clip. Okay, perfect. <laughs> so ominous. <laughs> Not okay with that. It was so quiet. <laughs> She's talking about, like, ghosts and stuff. Yeah, yep, nope, nope. Okay, so he meets Wilhelmina Rahner. He marries her, and she serves as a stage assistant under the stage name Beatrice Bess Houdini. So her nickname was Bess. So he partners with a couple people. He meets a woman in the biz. In the biz. And she kind of joins the show, too. Yep. But right now we're at, like, low-level success. We're just trying mm -hmm. to pay bills, kind of, yes. like, whatever we can do. Okay. Yeah, so... Um, Harry's brother, Dash, is replaced by Bess Houdini. Okay. Um, so he goes off and does his own thing. Um, with Bess and Harry, they change the name of the act from the Brothers Houdini to just the Houdinis. While okay. performing as the Houdinis, they gain... I don't know if that's what was limiting their success, but okay. I don't know. <laughs> Rebrand. <laughs> Rebrand. We'll try again. We'll try again. While performing as the Houdinis, they gained some notice with a trunk escape they mm. called the Metamorphosis. The basis. Metamorphize, metamorphize. Uh, okay, good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> just keep saying S's until you know until how they the say like court talks. with your heart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Heart's content. Um, the basis of this trick was not originally Houdini's. Uh, it had been done before by other illusionists, but Houdini's version is the one that became sensationalized. So the trick: Houdini's hands are tied behind his back. He's placed in a sack, which is like literally his whole body tied over the top of his head. Okay. Um, that sack is like tied shut. And then he, in the sack, is placed into a box, which is then locked and strapped closed. Okay. The box is then placed in a cabinet that has like a curtain over the front. <laughs> okay. Like typical magicians that go in and they sure. draw a curtain. So yeah. they're like, we have them all locked up and uh, stowed away, but now you can't see yes, him. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um... So they draw the curtain. Bessie steps into the cabinet and draws the curtain. She claps three times. On the third clap, Houdini opens the curtain. Bessie is gone. But she's, he, in, the, she's in the box. Yes, okay. but he's free of all restraints. So she is now inside the sack, inside the box. All of the locks and straps are in the place, the same place as they were. She is, her hands are bound behind her back. And the sack is tied above her Listen, head. Not to be like a 1920s patron, but like how? The secret. Okay. We're going to talk about it. Is there a second chest? No. Okay. So the secret. Houdini, the first part of the secret is just that Houdini was genuinely really great at escaping. Okay. So the secret, Houdina, Houdini was a master of knots. So by the time the sack is Hot. over his head. <laughs> By the time the sack is over his head and being tied, he is already out. His mm. hands are already out of the knot that is binding them behind his back. And the sack had some holes in it such that the rope that's like tying the sack above his head right. has to loop inside and okay. then outside. 
So he's able to pull on the inside part of that string mm. to loosen it just enough to get himself out, out of, of the, the sack. Bag. Okay. Yes. After being in. He's still in a chest now, yes. right? So. Although I guess he's unhandcuffed by the time they're putting mm-hmm. him in the chest, yes. right? Okay. So after being placed inside the box, he would wiggle out of the sack as Bessie is strapping and locking it. The box had a secret back opening so that once Bessie draws the curtain closed, Classic. he opens the back panel without disturbing any of the locks or straps. And actually, Bessie is not the one clapping, it's Houdini. So Houdini would clap once, Bessie would be in, would get inside the box through the rear panel, the, the panel would close, and then he would clap again. And then by the third clap, Bessie would have managed to get back into the sack, slip the rope around her, her wrists, and have the, the sack tied over her head. This trick was so well practiced that Houdini could be out and Bessie would be in in just three seconds. Jesus Christ. Isn't that insane? That's actually like really impressive. Right? Like not, that's actually really cool. Right? Okay. That's so fast. Okay. Okay. So this is- I think we all have that perception Mm -hmm. of like entertainment a hundred years ago where it's like, sure, if you've never seen like a person of color or had lo mein noodles, (laughs) like anything will impress you, you know? If you've ever had a crispy crab rangoon, I get being blown away by anything. But three seconds- Three seconds? It's actually a really impressive, like the curtain like closes, clap, clap, opens. Done. Done. That's crazy. That is really cool. Also, right? I don't know why I assumed Houdini is standing still as everything's happening. Because of like, no. of course not. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. Absolutely. So, this is the trick that drove Houdini to develop more escape tricks because he decided the crowd had been more mesmerized by the suspense of an escape or unusual trick than by like cards or sleight of hand mm, tricks. Mm-hmm. And so that's what kind of causes him. I don't know that he abandoned like normal sleight of hand magic or stage magic, but this is what caused him to really go into, let's put myself in a situation that might kill me and then see if it doesn't. Here's the thing, I actually can really relate to this because after our little NDA video blew up, which is why a lot of you are here, Welcome. We're thrilled you are. <laughs> Whenever the NDA video blew up, I looked at Maya and I was like, I don't know if I can replicate that. And you were so kind. You were like, well, don't. Just like be you. And I was like, <laughs> okay. I don't even know how I feel about that either, but that's fine. See, sometimes being the less funny one is a lot less stressful. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot less prior trauma. <laughs> that's also true. Unless you're just like... I have found what works, and now I have to continue to serve that up. And the tough thing is, truly and honestly, I don't even think that is our funniest video. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's controversial to say anymore. I think people I'm, just fought in the comments mostly on that. Yeah, video, and that's, that's what, what keeps really driving and stuff, yeah. which is funny too. But it's like I feel like one of those like old timey singers who was like, "That's not even my best song. That's not even my best." Like, <laughs> there's so much funnier stuff if you explore what we have published than that. But people love the vaudeville. I know. And oh, so, okay, <laughs> solid transition. But I, also, people do love just for like a second, scrolling I was through all like, of it. What? And oh, right, we're still talking about yeah. something. Okay. Okay. Check out our work. <laughs> <laughs> we are vaudeville at it. I want to just chew on this orange rain for a okay, second. Okay, cool. Spring. <laughs> I feel like a dog. You're like Sugar a dog. Coated. It's like just it's just really eat good. that. Okay. <laughs> Spring. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Go. <laughs> Spring of 1899 is when they caught their big break. Martin Beck is a rising tycoon. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Roller coaster or zoo? <laughs> Vaudeville. <laughs> I love those games as a kid. <laughs> so, rising tycoon in Vaudeville Theater, and he saw their performance in St. Paul, Minnesota. 
He was particularly interested in a handcuff escape that Houdini Houdini, Damn, uh, was. <laughs> that Houdini had done. So Beck challenged Houdini with his own pair of handcuffs after the show because he had figured that Houdini was like using a, yeah. a fake stage pair of handcuffs. Houdini has easily escaped this new pair of handcuffs. Hot again. Yes. <laughs> exactly. Shortly after this, Beck wired Houdini and offered to hire hire Houdini's act to open a show in Omaha on March 26th. $60. Go Nebraska. Nebraska. Lincoln's better. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Houdini later w- wrote, quote, this wire changed my whole life's journey. Aww. Yeah. Beginning in the 1900s, Houdini began gaining a reputation for his escape stunts. Beck had the Houdinis playing in leading vaudeville houses from the Midwest to California, and they were also a hit on another East Coast circuit. So it sounds like his his tycoon was okay. the West. I was like, anything west of the Missouri... Or Atlantic City, Jersey. Those are those are Houdini's. <laughs> That's where circuits. he is. Everything else is corn. <laughs> the West is beautiful. Lucky Houdini. Yes, true. So he would escape everything from shackles, ropes, handcuffs, and various locked containers. He would do public stunts like jail escapes to get people to come to the show as like public acts. Nice. Houdini. I hope he would do the crime to get jailed. I hope there were jurisdictions he couldn't that revisit. Would be so fun. I that. Is that our next promotional I have no tip? Idea. Grant and Maya commit arson. Come to our Salt Lake City show. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Houdini got nicknamed, quote, the celebrated police baffler. Okay. And the king of handcuffs. By this point, Houdini was a big star of vaudeville. (laughs) The stocks are booming on Wall Street as Houdini escapes again. Houdini escapes again. The transatlantic accent is so funny that to those of you in their car alone right now, just pause us and do a little transatlantic accent. You will absolutely end up with a smile yeah, on your face. If you aren't giggling, like, I don't think you've really committed. Just say the celebrated police baffler and the king of handcuffs. And the celebrated police baffler and handcuffs. <laughs> and that feels a little bit like baseball pitcher announcer. <laughs> this is also how I coach my speech and debate students, by the way. I'm like, listen, if you just go past cool and enter funny, this gets a lot better. It does. <laughs> you could have a podcast. I'm a world-renowned teacher. Nominate me for an award. While celebrated Biden's- police Celebrate a teacher, Grand <laughs> A lot of hard sounds there. Okay, so Houdini arranged his own tour of Europe and would spend the next five years there. He was Us like, on our first yeah. tour. We coordinated all of this, and it's wherever we have friends that will host us. You have got you got a couch. We'll stay. <laughs> Thank you, Reno, and the eight people who didn't know this was happening tonight. Hey. Hey. <laughs> Okay, Um, he would spend the next five years there. He would also stage public exhibitions and take challenges from spectators. From there was a challenge from the London Mirror, which was a set of handcuffs they commissioned specifically to be difficult to escape, and they commissioned them for Houdini. Okay. It took Houdini more than an hour and several theatrical flourishes, but he emerged free of the quote mirror cuffs. <laughs> it also takes me an hour to get out of most tight clothing. <laughs> and I always have a theatrical flourish. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, in Germany, he ran up against the Kaiser's public police force. When a Cologne uh, policeman accused him of fraud, Houdini accused him of slander. (laughs) (laughs) He had to reveal some of his tricks in court uh, to prove that he was not a fraudster. But he is the definition of I asked you first. Well, I asked you second. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
and you suck. <laughs> uh, he won, and the publicity due to this earned him the nickname of Konig der Handlschalen, a.k.a. King of Handcuffs. In We're about to be Germany. in Germany. We need to be better at this kind of stuff. Well, you say that, then. Oh, I know. I have no idea. Um, We're a, we are about to be in Konig Germany. Konig der Handschalen. See, you, the thing you that missed I missed several so Well, you were blocking it with your finger. Okay, whatever you say. <laughs> I had grandparents who spoke German, and my so two cool. oldest aunts also spoke German before they learned English. Mm-hmm. And then um, it all died away. And now I know one bad word. I do plan on doing a little bit of Duolingo. I did some Duolingo. Okay, German, cool. Yeah, yeah. So we're both like, Guten Morgen. <laughs> we're both like, Vata bitte. And I'm like, Donde esta? <laughs> Oktoberfest. I'm actually like fairly proficient in Spanish. Not sure how much that's going to help us in Bavaria. Probably not a lot. We can speak it openly now. By the time this is published, we get back. That's true. We're going to yeah. be there in like two weeks. Oh, Literally not even figuratively. <laughs> I need to book her. You can't tell because this is a podcast, but Maya got a lot more stressed. <laughs> so I need to book our hotel for London. I want to go to a show on the West End and then go to the bars on the West End. Okay, that's fine. Okay, cool. 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 Excellent. Um, Houdini returned to America in 1905 with enough money to buy a small farm in Connecticut and a brownstone in New York, large Largely for his mother, um, who was reportedly the love of his life. Um, Okay. uh, Well, like, he just had a very close relationship, especially after his dad died, I think. Teresa, there's no brownstone in New York in your future, but I call every Sunday. That's true. I did not call the day. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Labor Day threw me off a little bit. Call her mother. Love you. (laughs) You can hear me on Monday. Jesus. Teresa, I'm sorry on Grant's behalf. I would be a better daughter. Um, okay. So this brownstone in New York would largely serve as his primary residence as well as his mother's. That's where he registered to vote and got his mail. Yeah. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, I have a picture for you. This is him and his mother. Oh, he like really. Yes. That is a Hungarian immigrant mother (laughs) if I have ever seen a single one. And it's not anything to do with anything other than like. The hat and the way she's dressed, but he yes. does seem to truly, legitimately he, love and appreciate all his All reports mom. say that he was like... YouTube, it's right here. Yeah, so <laughs> lo- uh, we'll post it on the Instagram. Any pictures that I mention will be posted on the Instagram. Um, okay. How many pages do you have? A lot of them are like really quick things. Like okay, the, I've seen the, the secret, number up here, I know. and I'm like, oh. Oh, there's a lot, but I, a lot of it is like what I was just, because we just went through like three pages. Oh, fun, okay, Yeah. So cool. a lot of it is just like quick stuff I'm, to get through. I'm here for all the detail. Yeah. It just might have to be two stories That's for fine. two episodes. Okay, 1908, Houdini introduces his famous milk can escape. He calls this, quote, the best es- best escape I have ever invented, and he would also advertise it by saying failure means drowning death. Oh, so you want to make sure you're shooting 100, 100% of the time. Okay, so <laughs> there's a milk can. It stands about a meter tall, um, three feet tall, if you're dumb and American like us. And it would be filled to the brim with water by volunteers from the audience. He would... Thank God it's not milk. Oh, God, yeah. Um, he would then get into the milk can, and it would be seal- he would, like, crouch down, and it would be sealed over his head. By the time the milk can was typically fully sealed, Houdini was already underwater for about a minute. Oh. And so before he would do these How acts... How long does it take to seal a milk can? Because uh, it had, like, straps and stuff oh, to, okay. like, make sure it was... Yeah. Um, 
before this trick began, he would like ask the audience to try holding their breath for as long as they could. And typically yeah. the longest anyone in the audience could do was a minute. And so yeah. by the time he the milk can is sealed and the trick begins, he's already at a minute. Um, after the milk can is locked, a screen was erected kind of around the can. And a minute or two later, Houdini would emerge and the locks of the milk can would still be in place. The secret here is that the collar of the milk can. So if you if you can't imagine what a milk can looks like, it's like kind of a cylinder and then it kind of tapers in a little bit, and then there's like a top to it. Okay, yeah. That's... So it's like a kind of a Coke bottle, but like right. metal. So the collar of the can is like where the top of the cylinder ends and it begins to taper in. Right. So the collar of the milk can is not actually riveted, um, but the way that it was like put in, it's like kind of tapered in such a way and greased in such a way that even when Houdini asked spectators to come and like inspect the can and make sure there's no foul play, oh, sure. they wouldn't be able to remove it or tell oh, okay. that it wasn't riveted. But once Houdini's inside, he can pull at it enough to get it to what do you come mean he can pull, up. Like he can pull it down and then it causes he like can a, pull like in. Okay, I think, and that like fucks up the suction and then yeah, he can and get he out. can get out. So okay. he would he could push the collar up and get out without disturbing any of the locks on top. And then you would but put it back on. how much space is there between the, like, cylinder and the locks? There can't be that much room to get out. Um, here, I have a, there's a picture of it somewhere. <laughs> I'm like, even if you can, like, not disturb any of the locks, it can't be that much room to, like, wiggle through. No, it's not. But he was also not, like, a he massive a guy. Man. He was, yeah. Short king. Short king? Milk can. I'm officially at four hours of being in Maya's place. My eyes have started to itch. That makes sense. You I have the combination of that and my Allegra. No free advertising. Um, shortening. Oh, okay. Yeah. She a hefty thing. All yeah, right. Yeah, it's like big. Okay. It's like about half the height of. Houdini. I think I'm now realizing I've never actually seen a milk canister. I've only seen cartoons of yes. milk canisters. They're, okay. they're pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> um, so he has enough room to do that. Oh gosh, where was I? Yes. So he was able to get up and out without disturbing any of the locks and then he would put the top back in and but then sure, like, water's pouring out and stuff as yeah, doing all this probably right? okay yeah um also around this time he staged a series of manacled bridge jumps also to draw publicity to his like stage performances like where he's jumping off a bridge yes oh okay yeah yeah <laughs> The, I'm he, like, whoa, one bridge to the next okay that's not suicidal yeah. he's just jumping off bridges manacled Okay. So he would jump from bridges while handcuffed at first. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. And okay. waited. And then he would, um, after he like kind of mastered that, I guess, he also. After he got bored with yeah, it. He also added a box that he would get locked into. So he'd into. get locked into handcuffs and yes. then locked into a box. And mm -hmm. then that box would get thrown over a bridge mm -hmm. and be like, surprise. And then he would appear on the bank. After like 150 seconds, I think it was. So he was handcuffed and put into that's a two, that's three minutes. Yep. Uh, he was handcuffed and put into a wooden crate, which was then nailed and chained shut. And the crate was then thrown over the edge of whatever bridge he was on. The first time he did this was a barge on New York's East River. Oh. 150 seconds later, he would emerge a short distance away. Scientific Scientific American declared it quote one of the most remarkable tricks ever performed. Oh. The secret hmm. here is that, um, A, 
There was never any tricks to any of his handcuff escapes. He just genuinely knew how to get out of handcuffs. And is so, it that easy? Is it like that bad of a technology? I think he he's studied it for so long. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He wrote a book, I think, on like how to get out of handcuffs. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, so he would be out of the handcuffs by the time the box was nailed shut. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Nice. One of the so sides. So he gives himself enough stunts with his wait time in between things. Yeah, kind of. It seems like. Um, one of the sides of the um, box was made up of four like boards, mm. and they all had fake nails, nail heads in them to make mm. it look like they were nailed shut, but it was actually a trap door secured by, yeah. by an interior latch. So he would typically wait to unlatch this trap door until he had hit the riverbed at the bottom of the river. Wait, the riverbed? Yes. <laughs> so he's like in the box... He's already gotten out of the handcuffs, and now he's just curled up, <laughs> much like I am when I ever record these episodes, <laughs> curled up in the box. He's like, okay, I'm getting thrown over the bridge. Cool, hit the Three, water. Three, two, <gasps> and then water, and then sinking, sinking, sinking. Because what is he worried about, like, popping up too soon? He's worried about someone seeing the latch, or, like, seeing the door open. Oh. I think, yeah. But then um, they have to get this box back every mm-hmm. time, right? Yeah. So does he then later like go diving for the box? Someone does, I'm sure. What's in the box? I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he would typically wait until the box hit the riverbed before he unlatched the door. But there was one time the crate landed with the trap door. Oh, I bet it did. On the bottom. Yeah, because you're just getting fucking thrown into the river. Yes, and he almost died. <laughs> he, it said like he had to, I don't know like wiggle or I don't know what the words were. He ended up being able to unlatch it and get out, but it was scary enough to him that he started unlatching it before he hit the bottom of the river. That's good to hear. Yeah. Um, This same year, 1908, he wrote a book (laughs) called The Unmasking of Robert Houdin, which is the, the magician he got the name Houdini from. And it, tells how Houdin did all of his magic It's just magic a Taylor tricks. Swift album. This yeah. famous person you know, they ain't shit. They just ain't like, shit. absolutely, the right album. Exactly. <laughs> and he explained... Why would he write that? Does he have beef with this guy? Because it seems like Robert Houdin never... Either he claimed he had real magical powers, oh. or he never denied He's it. like the Long Island medium, where he's mm-hmm. like, you are a fraud! <laughs> And this okay. is a precursor to where we will see uh, Houdini's life kind of go in okay. the next like decade. I'm or realizing so. right now I also have no idea how Houdini dies. Oh, um, it's a fun one. Okay, good. Much, much like Sylvester Graham. Wait, do they sell hamburgers out of Houdini's house these days? Houdini himself actually sells <laughs> good, hamburgers. Good, he never died. Good, yeah. good, good, good. Um, Houdin, in he, case you were wondering, you take the order through a trumpet and yeah. he's like. <laughs> Double and then he shines a flashlight in exactly. your face. I am Houdini, you are a fraud. <laughs> he wants no onions. <laughs> and you're lactose intolerant. I'm not giving you a milkshake. Good, good. We're in it now, folks. Yes, so Houdin, if you're wondering, um, he died in 1871, so well before oh, this. Oh. Yeah, Houdin, Sorry. not Houdini. Yep, okay. Yeah. Because I heard Houdini died in 1971. No. And I was like, what the fuck? But I was like, oh, 1871 and Houdini, also a different not person. Houdini. Yes. Okay. Cool. He died in 1871, so it's not like Houdini's like affecting his stage <laughs> performances or anything anymore. Oh my God, Grant. Okay, so 1910. Like barely. Here. Yeah. <laughs> Harry Houdini goes to Australia. 
Um, he does some shows there, and most notably, he is the first person to successfully fly a, pa- a plane in Australia. <laughs> he sustained flight for... Wait, that's it? Yeah, that's He's it. Just a, okay. Yep. Oh, cool. He sustained flight nice. for 3.5 minutes. What and year he, is that? Uh, 1910. Okay, okay, that's okay. Yeah, he had his own uh, plane okay. that he, like, brought to Australia, it sounds like. Anyway, same flight for three and a half minutes, and he was quoted saying afterwards, I guess this isn't a, an actual quote, but he was saying, basically, if people do not remember any of my other tricks, at least I'll be remembered for the first man to fly in Australia. <laughs> for being the first man really to fly in Australia. Really low bar there. I know. Okay, 1912 slash 1913, it wasn't super clear. Sources said different things. He started doing the Chinese water torture cell escape, which he called, quote, the Upside Down, and this premiered in Berlin. Him and Dick Cheney, I guess. (laughs) He tortured prisoners and is a prisoner of war. Sorry, not prisoner of war. War criminal. War. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, sorry, sorry. Wrong word to get wrong there. Anyway. It's fine. America violated human rights. So this water torture cell that he used was custom made um, for him and Houdini also patented it. He had two made um, so that one was always coming with him in case the first one wasn't working like it should. It looked basically like an aquarium that was like tipped on its side. So it was longer than it was wide. Okay. uh, Or taller than it was wide. It was... It had like a glass front pane, and it was had a mahogany and nickel plated steel frame. It was okay. twenty. Is it glass on all four sides? I don't think so. I'll okay. show you a picture. It okay. looks like it's just glass on the the front side, um, but it is twenty six point five inches wide, fifty nine inches tall, and it weighed seven thousand pounds and held two hundred and fifty gallons of water. So it's a hefty tank. It's a big tank. Yes. The front pane of glass. Yeah, so only the front pane. The front pane of ga- glass was um, 0.5 inches thick and tempered. So it was not going to be super easy mm. to okay. like break. Um, the trick. Houdini would always put the cell wherever an audience member told him to, to show that there was no trap door Who do you being put used. the cell? Oh, like, like, put, like put literally the Wherever box, on the stage, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Um, and then they got our garden hose, and they're like, come back after intermission. All right, come back. And all of this tank will be filled. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe he did other tricks during this. I don't know. Okay, so he... Because <laughs> <laughs> it, like, fills yeah. in there. Pick a card. Is this your card? Yes, <laughs> I keep rewatching that. Is, is this, this your, your draft card? <laughs> yes. Exactly. Okay. Um, he would also allow a spectator to examine the, the Chinese water torture cell, and he would offer them $1,000 like in 1920 money, um, if they could prove Houdini could get oxygen while he was inside the cell. Is there a reason he keeps calling it the Chinese water torture? Or is it just like a little ethnocentrism, a little xenophobia? I didn't really want to look it up, so I didn't. Um, Yeah, that's fair. Preserve your peace. I get that. (laughs) Uh, Chances are... No. no. Yeah. Okay. He's not like, and then he like repeats a Buddhist. Yeah. Say, okay. He did do, there was a couple other tricks. I only cover like maybe a few tricks that he does. There are a couple tricks that I did read about that did originate in like the Middle East and they oh, okay. did talk about that basis. So it's possible this did originate in China. I'm not sure. It didn't specify. Gotcha. So I can't tell you. Friday night messaged me. Who? Friday night. Uh oh. So you wanted to serenade you? <laughs> uh, just uh, that he had a great time. Well, and like, of course he did. I'm a delight. All right. Whenever you say big gay. 
need to stop saying Dear friends, that. never tell your friend any trauma that you have. I literally just say that to people. <laughs> I know. Which well, also, it's fine. It's funny. It also, I'm not particularly bothered by it when my friends say it. It's just like, person who knows nothing about me, oh, good job finding one detail about me. I have a fantastic uncle. I have a complicated uncle, but when we were kids was mm-hmm. great. And my sister's name is Alexandra. That's <laughs> her, like, government birth certificate name. Yeah. Uh, that was tough for me to say as a kid, so I always just called her Allie, because I had, like, a... That's I fair. legitimately did have a speech impediment yeah. as a kid. Alex was not a word I was able to say, so it was Allie. And so everyone in my, my family started calling her Allie, and her name's not Allison, it's Alexandra. <laughs> and so it became Allie, which became Al, which then became Big Al, which from one of my uncles became, well, what are their alligator? Which then became Gator Baby. <laughs> <laughs> Well, shit, how's it going, Gator Baby? How you up to? Oh, uncle, this uncle no. has a lot of, here's the thing, whenever we would eat a lot of food, as we'd walk away from the table, this uncle would go, well, I feel like a stuffed tick. And if someone was, like, driving super fast or we got out of a place super early, he'd say, well, we were off like a dirty brassiere. And that is how I found out what brassieres were. Oh, my God. You know what they are, right? I think I do. Bras. Yeah. He was saying we were off faster than a dirty bra. And he doesn't mean like the fabric is saturated. Yeah. Yeah. And so he always called my sister Gator Baby and Alligator, which actually now I'm like, that's actually a really cute name. That is a really cute For a really nickname. complicated man. He yeah. lived in the country. You can kind of fill in the parts that made him complicated. <laughs> But he loved my aunt, he loved us as children, I think for the most part his heart is good, and I would introduce him to zero of my friends. That's <laughs> the millennial experience. We don't love our extended family. Are we jumping back into yes. it right away? Was that a good break for you as well? Yeah. Do you want to talk about what, whoever you're messaging? No, I certainly don't want to talk about that out loud. <laughs> I love shaming you like a mother. Then I'm gonna do it phone. anyways. <laughs> Shame me. We can take a second. Go ahead and fill in this gap here, Maya. I wanna push <laughs> you around. Well, you can't cue things that I'm gonna wanna talk about because it delays <laughs> this break. It's true. Okay, 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 okay. Um, what was the last thing I said? I don't actually know. Something about the. Go ahead and take this second to plan your response and back in my classroom. Well, I will. Well, well I, I will. will. I won't. So, Maya, okay. tell me more about Houdini. <laughs> Flawless segue. Okay, so, the trick. Houdini would always put the cell wherever the audience is. Oh, we already talked about that. Um, so, Maya, tell me more about Houdini. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Houdini would lay on his back. While his assistants put his feet through the mahogany stocks. Okay. Um, and then pulleys would lift him into the air upside down, and then he would be lowered into the tank head first. I would love just to see that happen. I know. Um, the stocks holding his feet then acted as the lid to okay. the tank. Oh, okay. Um, and then... Part of me is just like there's like water like billowing out. Yeah, so there like is water that falls out as he's getting put in just because okay. volume. But an assistant always stands by with an axe to break the front glass pane if things start going awry. Oh, um, there are <laughs> that cur- makes it real. I know, right? The there are curtains drawn around the cell while music plays, um, and then two minutes later, Houdini would emerge from behind the cell. The stock is still on top of the tank, and the locks are still in place. So they would lock the stock to the top of the okay. top of the cell. The secret is in the stock. 
Um, the stocks were deep set, meaning that when Houdini was immersed into the tank, some of the water would flood over the sides right. and put a small pocket of air between the surface of the water and the bottom of the stocks. Has to be like an inch at most. Oh yeah, though. not much. Um, so the two sides of the mahogany boards that formed the stocks separated slightly when it's secured to the top of the cell. So when I'm th- picturing this, it's like they, they lock the stocks in and that pressure of, or that pull of locking it kind of opens up the stocks a little bit. Okay. And this allows Houdini to push his feet upward and twist sideways and pull his feet through the slightly enlarged stocks of okay. his feet. And so now he's free so from the stocks. So they're big enough for him to like intentionally be dropped in, but he yes. kind of like slip out of the thing. He can kind of slip out, yes. Feet. Okay. And then he is able to flip around and get a breath of air from that air pocket. So the real thing is someone should be there to like tighten up his feet to make sure he can't slip out. That would be that a would way be to thing. actually okay. kill him. Yeah. Cool. Figure it out, guys. <laughs> Hundred years later, Grant's on the hey. case. The medium. Um, <laughs> <laughs> once he's done, he's able to flip and take a breath in that small air pocket. The stocks are also hinged to open from the bottom side so that Houdini can climb out without disturbing the lock. So of he, course they are. Yeah. So then he closes it back up, emerges from behind the curtain, and says, voila. Um, I feel like for someone who has no problem with handcuffs, mm-hmm. that two minutes feels like a long time for him. And that is the the time it took initially. I'm not sure if that because they've thrown faster. him in boxes in the river, and he waited more than a two minutes mm-hmm. to have that happen. It might be just hard to get the stocks to like, because mm. he's able to hold his breath for like what like three minutes or something right. like that. So it might just take a while for him to get to a place where he's able to flip, sure, flip around. How do you also wonder too if like if you do it too fast, does that raise suspicions? Yeah, that's also true. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so. July 17th, 1913, Cecilia Steiner Weiss, um, Houdini's mother, dies of a stroke. Oh. Yes. Okay. That kind of came out of nowhere. I know. (laughs) Sorry. His mother was um, reported by many sources as the single most important person to him, Mm. supporting him through all of his endeavors. Whenever he took breaks from on the road, she let him stay with her. Um, She passed away. In the house he bought her? Yes. That's kind of her. (laughs) But it's still, no, no it it, that really was sweet. before he bought the house, oh, when okay. he was still trying to find success. Okay. Um, so she passed away while he was performing in Copenhagen, and when he was told around the time oh, of the performance... He's not even there when she dies? He Aww. reportedly fainted. Yeah. It's just late enough in the evening that I'm, like, a little emotional, and that, my allergies have triggered my eyes enough <laughs> that it actually, wind will make me cry at this point, so I'm like, it's <laughs> <laughs> so fucking beautiful. I know, um... So it took him several days to make it back to the Brownstone in New York. Um, but he, like, heads out right away. He heads He's out like, right I'm away, leaving. yeah. But when he did make it back, um, they held off on the burial, which is mm. actually against Jewish custom, but they did it so that he so could see his, yeah. his mother one last time. Um, but So when he made it back to New York, he buried her with a pair of wool slippers that she had asked him to get her while she, he was in uh, Europe. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, that's so sweet. He's so gone for her. <laughs> Listen, those of us who have listened to the podcast know uh, I care about Teresa deeply. <laughs> that's I know. So kind. That's, so that's great. Sweet. And those who were close to him or even knew him said that he was never quite the same after she passed. No, not the permanent damage. No. So anyway, back to escapes. Okay. <laughs> Wham, wham. No. Um, September 8th, 1915. <laughs> so two years later, um, 
he did his first suspended straight jacket escape. Okay. In Kansas City. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine. In Kansas City. Okay. So, do you remember Houdini's younger brother, the one that toured with him for like a hot second like before he Cole found or something? The, uh, his nickname was Dash. Okay, yeah. Friends, so. Desco, Vice. Um, so not Cole. No. Okay. Not really. I was gonna let you have it. So the straight, this particular straight jacket escape, was not the first that either Houdini or Houdini's younger brother had done. Because okay. Houdini's younger brother at this point is also doing escape acts. Okay. Um, this particular suspended straight jacket escape was born out of sibling rivalry. I love stuff like mm-hmm. this. <laughs> Houdini's younger brother, Ferenz Desco Weiss, um, when immigrating to the U.S., Ferenz was changed to Theodore. Okay. <laughs> um, and then we already talked about their last name was changed to Weiss. Um, so his stage name, the younger brother's name, was Theodore Hardeen. Instead of Houdini. Yeah, so now Hardeen. we have Hardeen and Houdini. Neither of those are their actual names. Good, good. That's hilarious thing, to me. I kind of, Griffin and I know how to swim because we were signed up for the same swim class yeah. lesson. And they would progress you along based off skill, not your level. And so Griffin um, once surpassed me no. at swim lessons. And I cried so hard my mom got us ice cream and then never brought us back to swim lessons <laughs> ah! the good is, is we were far enough along having fine. pushed each yeah. other that we legitimately could swim i love that for you have yeah. i told you about the time that i almost drowned no or else i wouldn't have brought up a swimming story do you <laughs> want to share second grade we were at a uh like a pool for like our fun day at the okay. end of the school year. And everyone was lining up to take the like swim test. You could go into the big kid pool. And my brain was like, yeah, I want to be one of the cool kids. I love it. Dear listener, <laughs> I did not know how to swim. And I did not know that you needed to know how to swim. <laughs> to be in the pool. Yeah. And so I jumped into the pool to take the swim test. Okay. I start doggy paddling because I don't know how to swim. Sure. I start drowning. <laughs> like right away, like, right? Yeah, I mean, I may get a few feet. Okay. Uh, the lifeguard does not jump in to save me. Okay. Because you have to like make it like half the length of one lap, basically, and then you just come out, and then they're like, okay, you passed. Sure. Um, the lifeguard did not jump in to save me. My second grade teacher had to jump in and save me, fully clothed. She lost a like a diamond earring at the bottom of the 12 foot section Kim, of the pool. there are people literally dying. I know. <laughs> That's just like my guilt that remembers that. Um, I remember getting out of the pool and the, I overheard the lifeguard talking to like one of the parents or something saying, well, it's not really like my responsibility (laughs) to save someone in a pool. Yeah. As a lifeguard. (laughs) But anyway, I almost drowned. And then I like proceed. I think my brain, I don't know if my brain was like, that wasn't a big deal. Or my brain was like, so traumatized that it kind of forgot. Mm, I like, like erase immediately. Yeah. And so I legitimately, like, I didn't tell my parents not because I like didn't want to tell them which was also the case but i didn't tell them because i legitimately didn't think to tell them and so we were at a birthday party either that night or the next night and one of my friend's parents came up and oh no yeah and i went to a small elementary school there's like 30 kids a grade and so one of my friend's parents came up to my parents were like how is maya is she okay and they were like from what what And then I got signed up for swim lessons immediately. <laughs> um, there's a I have the swimming merit badge from yeah. Boy Scouts, Love which that. at Boy Scout camp means you had to get shoved into a pool with all your clothes on. But you have actually all your clothes on and then also a bathing suit. Because one of the requirements is that while treading water, you can take your jeans off. 
uh, tie them, the legs, into a knot. Blow, still trading water, blow water into the jeans, and then curl it to make your own impromptu life vest. Correct. And then, now you swim with your floaty to the center of the pool where you ditch your floaty, and you swim down 10 feet and retrieve a black brick, and you come up to the surface and you throw the brick onto the pool, and that is how you earned your swimming merit badge. I would die. At least that is how they told me I had to earn <laughs> my swimming bear. You know, you're the kids who are like, here's your challenge. You're like, oh, okay. okay. And I remember being like both proud that I was able to do it and being like, oh, wow, that was actually an insane Insane. amount of work yeah yeah yeah. like right now I'm like oh I was fit back then (laughs) I'm fit in a different way now but I was like yeah yeah no I remember like when I had this was when I was older probably like sixth grade we would dive for float or dive for like the dive toys you know and I remember going down to like the bottom Mm -hmm. of like the 10 12 foot and now thinking about doing that I would rather die correct ear infection to the max yeah over the last six minutes have been like Grant and then Maya know how to swim. (laughs) You can't kill us by drowning us. I would love to be in the water. (laughs) (laughs) On a ledge less so, but yeah. Yeah, Anyways, okay. Okay. So Houdini and Houdana. (laughs) Houdini? Houdini and Houdin. Wait, shut up. No, it's not. It's Houdini and Houdin. Coming Um, back to it. Oh gosh, where was I? Hardeen. Hardeen, okay. Houdini and Hardeen. Houdini Hardeen. and Hardeen. I was like, that's, that's a little bit better. Yeah. So both brothers did straight jacket escapes prior to this. Okay. But, um, and where we were, dear listener, <laughs> is that this is, this is the first suspended straight jacket escape that Houdini did, and it was born out of sibling rivalry. And so both brothers prior to this did straight jacket escapes, but they were done kind of behind a curtain. Hardeen, okay. at some point when he was performing, was asked or like dared to do a straight jacket escape in front of the audience right, with without like the without the curtain. And he did it and he received a standing ovation. Whoa. And he told Houdini and Houdini was like, We'll do anything for praise. Yeah. He was like, <laughs> I have to get more praise than my brother. So um, the trick. Houdini was strapped into a straitjacket in front of the crowd, and his ankles are bound. Okay. A crane lifts him oh. from by his ankles 75 feet off the ground, and he is hanging upside down in a straitjacket. Um, yeah, and then he escapes from the straitjacket. How does he escape from the crane? And also, why would you want to escape from I don't from think the, he escapes from the crane. Let me back down gently. I think the idea of the crane was to meant to give the impression that there's no trick to the escape. Mm. That there's like He's not nothing, like grabbing anything. Mm-hmm. He's yeah. just literally wrestling with, with a straight himself. jacket. Yes. Okay. Um, and so, I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard that Houdini escapes straight jackets by dislocating his shoulder. I've heard that 100%. Yes. So that's not true. Okay. It is. He has the- no shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Tis but a flesh wound. <laughs> he is made of jello. <laughs> okay, so the secret um, is revealed in Houdini's 1910 book. Okay, he's um, a prolific writer. Gotcha. Yes, he wrote a lot of books. Um, the trick is to get slack inside the jacket as it's strapped on. So you just kind of take fabric in into okay. your, like your grip as you're doing it. Oh, okay. And so you, that gives you wiggle room. Another thing is that a lot of people, when they're strapped, will kind of get strapped like this. Right. Um, their arms folded. That's like with elbows touching the back of your shoulders. Yes. With just, palms touching the back of your just shoulders. Just like your arms 
kind of layered one on top of the other. Right. He says that you need to make sure your arms are crossed with your mm. dominant arm above your non-dominant arm. So I'm right-handed, so like this. Yes. Are you See, left-handed? I'm right-handed. Oh, that's your right hand. Never mind. Oh, Our yikes. arms are crossed the it's been a same long day. way. I'm like, wait, you're wrong. Nope, it's the exact nope. same. Okay. okay, so that is to give you more. Um, it'll be explained in a second. Okay. So you kind of grab fabric into your like uh, grip as the jacket is being strapped and tightened around you. Um, he would pinch and pull outward to loosen the material around his chest, and you would take a large breath as it's being tightened at the very last stages to expand his rib cage okay. to give him even more wiggle room. Um, once upside down, he would use his dominant arm, so in this case, his, or in our case, his right arm, I think he was also right-handed, he would force his non-dominant arm's elbow out um, away from his body, okay. forcing slack into the right shoulder, okay. um, which allowed Houdini to pull his dominant arm over his head because it's like kind of strapped around, so it gives him more more leeway in that case. Okay. And being upside down actually helped because gravity helped him get his arm over his head. Oh. And once his arms are free enough to be out in front of his body, he has agency to undo the buckles and straps and the cuffs with his teeth and like his hand, oh. wherever they need to, whatever needs to undo them can undo them. Once the cuffs are off, he could unbuckle the remaining buckles and he could slip free from the jacket entirely. So he would like kind of drop So he the like, he like kind of gets sewn into a straight jacket mm -hmm. and then reveals all the slack he'd produced and then like with his teeth and stuff is able to, okay. Yeah. It is, it does take away a lot of the magic yes. now that you hear it. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, it's just like, the most obvious way you would do it, mm -hmm. just with the steps now 100%. involved in it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one of the misconceptions is that dislocating the so shoulder was necessary to do this. It is not necessary, and he did do it, but it was only in a last resort. Like if he did uh, not have okay. the slack he needed Could have to. Could absolutely lived without the fact that You're he would occasionally welcome. do it, but not always. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so he, when he first did this trick, it took him half an hour to escape. Okay. By the time he was, like, really good at this trick, it took him three minutes. Whoa. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And then occasionally, as I, I think I mentioned before, people would, like, create handcuffs and straight jackets yeah. for him to escape out of as a challenge. Um, so when that happened, he was not above keeping, like, a tool in his hand oh. to cut. He was a cheater. To cut the straps and buckles. Cheater's gonna cheat. <laughs> so he didn't actually cut the straight jacket itself. Um, he would still try and escape it normally. Sure. But um, he would use it to cut any buckles and stuff that was not okay. easy to take he off. He brought something that was going to make life hard for him. He was going to cheat to get yes, out of it. Yes, he said, okay. no. Um, <laughs> there's an author who wrote a book about Houdini. Um, I'm not going to tell you the name of the book because it'll kind of give away what we talk about later. But what he said is, they locked him in a dreaded Siberian prison van, bottled him in a milk can, and entombed him in a block of ice in Holland. They shackled to a spinning windmill... The chassis of an the chassis of an automobile, the muzzle of a loaded cannon. They put him in the padlocked U.S. mailbag, roped him to the twelve-story girder of an unfinished skyscraper, sealed him in a giant envelope, and boxed him in a crate nailed tight, and dropped in New York Harbor. He emerged triumphant and smiling. 
Okay. But he also planned all of that stuff, right? Yeah. What do you mean they entombed him in a block of ice? I don't know. Okay. I had already been so many hours deep in this at this point. I was like, he was in a block of ice. I don't know. I was like, I'm trying to do the entire career of Houdini (laughs) right now. Yeah. So after three decades of performing, Houdini gets into motion pictures. (laughs) Yeah. Why is that every person's success ever? Well, now that I've had success on other platforms... I'm turning into video. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so 1918, he releases or produces um, The Master of Mystery. He becomes one of Hollywood's first action heroes. Okay. By this point, he's now in his mid-40s, and he's physically not capable, as capable as he used mm. to be. So he's excited at the prospect of being able to perform and escape once and having it preserved forever. I, I hear that. I, yeah. yep. Yeah, same. Bodies um, have a limitation. And it creeps. I don't know why. I just assumed it would never happen to me. Yeah. It has. So yeah. I get that. How, what year is it at this point? 1918. So this is like the beginning okay. of so the. So he hasn't yeah. started his like, you're a fraud kind of thing yes. yet. Okay. No. Um, also so, explains why he's not serving in World War One. He's in his late 30s. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So he started his own production company. And a few other ventures, but ultimately none of these were nearly as successful as his escape like acts and stuff. Okay. And none of them were like super profitable. I did see a couple sources that say he did make money on some of the movies oh, that he okay. produced, but none of them were like He hits. did become a film star. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. So well, I think especially when you're watching a trick happen on camera, you're like, of course there's movie magic yeah. happening. Like, oh, what I was going to say is that if any of the tricks that I mentioned to you sound like something you want to watch. You can absolutely Google them, which is cool. Oh, it's you can all... see them. Oh, nice. It's you can see performances of all of them because he did record a majority of them. And that brings us to the second half of our story. Second half? Okay. Spiritualism <laughs> in the 1920s. So really you're about to go into Houdini the detective. Okay. <laughs> so, and this, this part has most of my favorite facts about Houdini. <laughs> okay. My favorite, like, little tidbits. How many tidbits. trumpets are involved, though? That's the real Actually, question. None. Okay. That's, here's the thing. An hour ago, I wouldn't have known that's <laughs> tough to hear. Now I'm like, oh, okay. Well, technically, that's I'm story... still interested, <laughs> I guess. No, right, whatever. <laughs> anyway, so that, remember, that story that I start, opened with was 1925. So okay. that is well into this part that I were going to talk about. <laughs> so Houdini was always kind of embarrassed by his lack of formal education. And so was therefore always kind of craving the intention of scholars and intellectuals. So while he was enjoying the height of fame in the 1920s, he sends a copy of the book he had written, The Unmasking of Robert Houdin, to one of the most influential intellectuals he can think of who lives in Europe. Karl Marx? No. Someone, (laughs) Someone who would value his talents in deductive reasoning. Who do you think it is? Oh, Sherlock Holmes. Who wrote Sherlock Holmes? Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. There it is, okay. (laughs) Christy, Agatha, or whatever. Agatha Christie. Agatha Christie. There we go. So none other than the creator of the Sherlock Holmes. Wait, do they share tips? Do they become pen pals? We'll get there. This is a friendship (laughs) podcast. (laughs) Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. So Doyle has some opinions on spiritualism. What do you think he believes? So this is the guy who wrote Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. I think he is a man of science and believes spiritualism is a load of hooey. He absolutely believes spiritualism is real. <laughs> and is eating graham crackers to control his life. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> okay, so I so think that's so fucking funny because Houdini is like a known stage magician. His whole fortune is based in tricking audiences. And he is like, spiritualism is a load of fraud. Right. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, creator of the icon of deductive reasoning, still it's like used. Science. Yeah. Yes. And he's like, yeah, spiritualism is absolutely. I've met a real. ghost before. And Houdini is like, it's a lie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the lie is standing in front of you. It's me. It's me. I'm the lie. Okay. Wait, does he. Does he does he start to go on this rampage just to prove his friend wrong? Because that is why we started this podcast. Kind of. Tell me more, Maya. Tell <laughs> yes. me more. So one might think uh, someone who has made their fame and fortune on magic, Houdini might be a supporter of spiritualists and mediums. Mm. But while Houdini never claimed he doesn't believe in spirits, he did harbor a strong dislike of medians, or as he called them, quote, charlatans who produced all of their effects through natural means and tricks. So Houdini wanted people to believe that he could get out of all of these situations because he was like really good at escaping, not because he was magic. Yes. Okay. There was a exact, hand flourish yes. there for those of you yes. not on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so he felt media, mediums were taking advantage of those who were experiencing intense grief and okay. that this was not ethically right. Uh, mm. He was open to the idea of spiritualists and mediums, but, and he attended many seances since his, his father and mother both passed. I mean, who hasn't? <laughs> yeah, when have you attended a seance? I've never been to do Okay, cool. Uh, <laughs> I know a couple bitches. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but he never met or had an experience with a medium who successfully convinced them of their gifts. He was always mm. able to use his talents as an escape artist to and as a stage it. magician to debunk their quote talents. That's actually kind of sad. He's like, I would love for someone to help me talk to my mother, but all of you are hucksters and frauds. <laughs> exactly. I, so we do this thing called a Monday mantra in my class, mm -hmm. and it helps frame the work that we're going to do this week. And you always give it to the kid who's like worked really hard the week mm -hmm. before. So I gave it to a sophomore who asked me what my thoughts were on David Goggins. Oh. And I was like, I think he's a huckster, a fraud, and a snake oil salesman. And any person who tells you they have learned hard and fast rules to live your life, you should be skeptical of. And he was like, all right, bet, mister, Monday morning. Here's my David Goggins quote that I picked. <laughs> oh, I am, no. I am teaching trolls. I was actually in that moment like... Proud. So proud. <laughs> it's like, you get it. That's funny. That is pretty funny. Where did, where did this come? Right. This proof. Yep, go ahead. Yep. yep. Okay. So Houdini, <laughs> we've already talked about that he was a prolific writer. Okay. Um, he did write several books on his opinions of spiritualists and the like. One was uh, published in 1920 called Miracle Mongers and Their Methods. And another was 1924, Magician Among the Spirits. Okay. Um, so, so Arthur Conan Doyle going to go into a little backstory on him. The author of Sherlock Holmes. Uh, the author of Sherlock Holmes. Okay. He published seven Sherlock stories between 1887 and 1880, oh, sorry, 1891? Yeah, 1891. He, he publishes 12 stories in like four seven. years. Still, that's a that's lot, a lot to publish. right? Yeah. I know, I was surprised they I mean, came out that fast. it's still kind of the same structure for everyone, but it's different it's still, details. Yeah. And super interesting. They're all very, like, intricate, yeah. too. Yeah, so I was, I was surprised by that. Um, he was accepted into upper-class intellectual and author kind of societies. Between 1891 and 1893, he wrote six more novellas. Oh, my God. And then, quote, killed Holmes before Holmes killed him. I love a work-life balance. Right. How does he kill Holmes? Um, 
I want to say it was one of his nemesises that killed him. I Old age is the way to go. Can't remember. <laughs> well, he brings Holmes back. Oh, in a few years. so it's a fake killing. Yes, but I love in, it. he like is like I'm done with this character. Ran so out of money, him. huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle served in World War One as a war correspondent and a medical surgeon between 1896 Oof. and 1899. He then brought Holmes back to life. Uh, his like this is just a lot of things that happened between next between that and the next thing. Holmes he brought Holmes back to life. Wrote a few more stories. His first wife died. Um, and then he married his second wife, which was a longtime friend. Arthur grew Suspicious. up. Suspicious. Sounds like a case for Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> for bringing the transatlantic yeah. accent back. It's a coping mechanism. Okay. So Arthur grew up Catholic, um, but began showing an interest in spiritualism as early as the 1880s. Okay. He became convinced that there was an unseen world out there. He did not become a strong advocate slash, like, basically missionary for spiritualism until the end of World War One, and then that wave of spiritualism mm. hit the U.S. So and, he joined uh, it when Europe. everyone else joined it. I mean, he was in it before, but he didn't become, like, hell yeah, I'm doing this until everyone else I think else it'd be was heavens, it. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was actually so This is quick. the last episode. <laughs> that was really quick. I did appreciate that. Okay. So, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle began a spiritualist lecture tour okay. in mm -hmm. England. Generally, his lectures lasted like an hour and a half, uh, and they were done like six days a week to reach the most people that he could that possibly. That is, by the way, my dream profession. Just I give like, just a traveling lecture series where I'm in a different city and I have to speak for one hour, and everyone's yeah. there to listen to me. Yeah. It's like a concert. <laughs> I can see you as like the the preteen in their bedroom like practicing their consort like uh, entrance yeah i got a degree in history education okay, what well. do you think <laughs> if you want me to preach for you just let me know i don't whatever i just lecture series sounds a lot of fun <laughs> i can see it this is the time where i'm supposed to find out the thing that really like makes my career yeah margaret singer sylvester graham houdini Houdana. <laughs> Houdini Hardeen. Hardeen. Um, okay, so one of his most attended lectures, though, was attended by 8,000 oh. people, and he spoke for 15 hours. I hate that. In the rain. Nice. Hate it. Like the notebook. <laughs> okay. His, uh, Sir Arthur's oldest son, it was his second child oldest son, his name was Kingsley, died in 1918 of influenza. Um, and then Doyle's brother died in 1919, and then two of his nephews also passed shortly after. So Kingsley is the second child to Arthur Conan Doyle and Louisa Hawkins, who is the first wife. He dies of influenza in October of 1918. It might have been the Spanish flu. Yes, it was okay. around that time, yeah. Um, during World War I, he had served in the military from 1915 to 1917. And when he died, Doyle was on the lecture circuit when Kingsley was in critical condition, but before, oh, was in critical condition before he passed. And Doyle did not get a chance to see him in his final days. And he said, and I quote, as it was, I was able to go straight on the platform and tell the meeting that I knew my son had survived the grave and there was no need to worry. Oh, so he's like, hey, y'all, I've actually already checked in. He was like, hey, I was just in London. Now I'm in your ear. Spiritualism, 15 hours later. Yes. Oof. In a I letter hate that. Yeah. Okay. In a letter to his wife, he said, 
quote, I do not fear death for the boy. So since I have, for since I have become a convinced spiritualist, death became rather an unnecessary thing. And he believes spiritualism was a, quote, new revelation delivered by God to console Ugh. the bereaved. I, I'm not here to judge anyone for their grief journey. Yeah. And if this was how this guy processes grief, that's fine. And I'm sure he legitimately thought about it that way, that he was like, I do feel like I've already been in contact with my son. So I want it all to be genuine. But it's so hard to hear stories mm -hmm. like this and not be like, you're running a scam. Like, you're going to have people pay $10 to hear from the person they've loved the most in this yeah. world. And you're going to make up some mumbo jumbo. Like, it's all of our stories end up being like, hey, but also... That's fraud. Yeah, that's <laughs> not cute. That's not a good thing to yeah. do to people. Be weird on your own. We live yeah. in Colorado. We know plenty of weird people who just fuck off in the mountains. And that's, that's fun. Fine. <laughs> yeah, don't tell people that they don't need to see their dying relative right. because they will again in the afterlife. They'll come visit weird. you. They'll make the train journey. Yeah. So anyway, Houdini <laughs> and Sir Arthur had a bit of an iconic friendship. Okay. Beginning in the 1920s. One of their main dis topics of discussion was spiritualism. And Would they bring Houdini along? To what? Like these lectures and stuff? We'll get there. Okay. Yeah, a little bit. So Houdini was, uh, did shows in Europe, and I think that's how they kind of first met, right. is that he had sent his book to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and they had a discussion. There was a famous uh, group of performing mediums around the time, I believe. I can't remember their name. There were brothers, and they had a cabinet, basically, where they would like be tied up, and then music would play from the cabinet, and it... It was the spirits communicating. Whole thing. What? They, what? That's not even the weirdest thing we're going to okay. talk about. <laughs> you gotta stop. Sorry. <laughs> I, so it's like, uh, uh, you know. I can cover them at some point. They're actually very interesting. Everyone had a Ouija board experience when okay. they were in middle school, high school. These are nuts. Okay. Exactly. I'm eagerly listening. Yes. So there is some evidence around this time that Houdini was toying with the idea of being a supporter of the spiritualist movement. Okay. Um, Guilty since, by association. Yeah, since yep. the death of his father and perhaps even before Houdini showed interest in spiritualism and attended many seances but could always see through the media medium's tricks. Mm. He wanted to believe them, but had never met a medium who successfully convinced him. Um, there are some sources who like to suggest that the death of his mother is the one that prompted him to go to spiritualism, but this can actually be debunked by many sources. Um, he actually advertised in 1987 um, for mediums to come to him so that he could like debunk them or mm. not, or like they could prove their talents to him and then he would try and debunk what they're doing. Um, and that happened. Come to me, I'll early. ruin your career. <laughs> well, have you heard of us sales pitching to other exactly. companies? Come to us, we'll ruin your career. <laughs> come on, come on, come on, come on. We would love to work with yes. you. <laughs> it is also possible that he only entertained this idea when talking with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle because he craved the attention of a scholar mm. and intellectual, which, like, fair. A little celebrity worship. I also crave external validation. <laughs> Um, Just don't say it to her face because she doesn't like that. No, I don't want to be told <laughs> that I crave it. I'll tell you. You don't tell me. Um, okay. In his 1922 film, um, The Man from Beyond, the main character is seen reading a book that is by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and he's like nodding in agreement to whatever he's reading. And this is seen as Houdini's endorsement of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. That's real subtle, but okay. Yeah, and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle in return endorsed the film, which like was great for Houdini. <laughs> so they just had know. a partnership. Yeah, basically. <laughs> so in 1922, Houdini opens his home for Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who comes to America to do his lecture circuit in America. Okay. And they already are disagreeing at this point on spiritualism, nice. but they're like, 
still friends. They're like, yeah, they're like, I don't agree with you, but I'm open to having you as a friend and open to having discussions with you on the topic. Um, So this is kind of a long quote from a like uh, scholarly journal that I read about Houdini and Doyle and their life. Um, So during one such visit, Houdini wished to try a new illusion on his visiting guest. Houdini brought out an ordinary slate with two holes bored into two of the corners. A wire had been tied in the holes, and Conan Doyle hung the slate by the two metal holes to ensure that Houdini had not tampered with the materials. Houdini produced four cork balls and an inkwell filled with white ink. He had Conan Doyle inspect the balls, and he told them to select one from the four. Houdini then cut the ball in half to reveal that the ball was indeed solid cork. Another ball was placed in the white ink where it was coated and then put aside. Have you a piece of paper in your pocket upon which you can write something? Houdini asked his friend. Conan Doyle confirmed that he did and Houdini asked him to walk out of the house as far as he wanted and for him to write a sentence on the piece of paper and return it to his pocket. The writer consented and left the house. Houdini had another friend stay with him to reassure Conan Doyle that Houdini would not leave the house. After walking three blocks and writing mene, or mene, mene, Tekle up sharp. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just like absolute gibberish. No, but that's not gibberish at all. Oh, really? Can I just see it real yeah. quick? It's right here. Um, many, many. Oh, okay, maybe it's gibberish. There's a, um, there's a saying that it's like what has been it has been counted and divided and your fate oh. has been sealed. It's like from ancient Hebrew and it was a crucial part that would make sense. of um God, it's, it's part of the Assyrians after the sacking of Judea or something like that. But yeah, it's like an ancient reference. That's getting a fact check. Crazy. <laughs> well, I just wanna I just wanna know. Mene means God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed and found wanting, and a parson, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Parisians. I love- Paris- Persians. Persians. Yeah. I love being right. I know you do. That was impressive, though. I didn't even think. I think I was so deep in it that I was like. I know, and it looks like absolute gibberish, too. Because it's like not even. I mean, it's like deeply old Hebrew. Yeah. Yeah. But it was. So the story behind that is Mm -hmm. then, like, a hand appears in the king's chamber during the middle of a party and writes it on (gasps) a wall. And they have to call in one of the scholars, and the scholar laughs. And it actually might be David in the story, Mm. like the biblical story. And he's like, I can tell you, but you're not going to like what it says. And it says that you're deep have been counted your kingdom has already been divided and your state has been fueled <gasps> and I do they were right vague memory of that now that i'm like wow that's that gave me goosebumps a little bit okay uh, you become so, 30 and you just collect all of this wasted space of knowledge and every now and then my steps on something and i'm like actually i know old hebrew <laughs> would love to tell you more about it so, here. <laughs> Continue. so Conan Doyle walks three blocks and writes this very upsetting <laughs> phrase that only he and Grant in 2023 know. Yes, okay. Um, well, Houdini is also Jewish, so if this mm, is okay. yeah, if this is Hebrew, there's a good chance he knows it. Um, but he returns to the house. Houdini asks him asks him to pick up the ink ball with a spoon and to hold it to the suspended slate. The cork ball stuck without any aid and proceeded to roll across the surface of the slate, writing the exact message Mm. that Conan Doyle had written on the paper. And he said to Conan Doyle, I beg you, Sir Arthur, do not jump to the conclusion that certain things you see are necessarily supernatural or the work of spirits just because you cannot explain them. He's like, listen, I just did it. 
and you're a dumbass. <laughs> I love Houdini. This is such a more interesting side of Houdini than is like, I can get out of things. He's like, I'm a hater, but I love you. That's us. <laughs> um, the best part of the story. Uh, so he says that to Conan Doyle. Bewildered. Conan Doyle would conclude later that the only way Houdini could have accomplished oh. that trick was through the work of psychic aid. <laughs> You did all the math. You saw all the numbers. You showed your work. Wrong answer. Houdini's <laughs> like, look, look, that's not magic. And Conan Doyle's like, no way that ain't magic. He's like taking him by both shoulders and I go, I fooled you. I'm not magic. He's like, whatever you say, wizard. <laughs> the boy who lived. <laughs> Come to die. <laughs> It's not Leviosa, it's you're a magician! (laughs) (laughs) Have you ever had those moments too where you're like, hey friend, in in the most gingerly way I can possibly do this, what you believe is wrong, and your friend goes, mmm, mmm, fuck you, I don't believe you. (laughs) Have you ever had moments like that? And it's like, I, I... You're like, I, I literally know. walked you exactly. to the answer, and you took a U-turn. And my only kid response could be like, hey, okay. Okay, <laughs> oh, fair enough. All right. <laughs> so both men remain steadfast in their own opinions, but also remain friends for, for like... A good couple years after this. Um, During this 1922 tour, Doyle even said he was prepared to renounce his creation of Sherlock Holmes as a demonstration of his faith in spiritualism. Wait, he thinks Sherlock Holmes can figure that all out because of spiritualism? No, he thinks that people will be like, well, why the hell do you believe it? You created this like deductive reasoning God, basically. Mm. And he's like, well, if like you really think that I, that's how I vibe. I'll kill Sherlock again, but I won't. <laughs> he makes me a lot of money. Yeah. Planned Parenthood, Graham Cracker, Sherlock Holmes. This is a mask ripoff. We are Scooby-Doo <laughs> of 2023. Yes, exactly. Houdini <laughs> would have gotten away with it too. If it wasn't for you meddling wizards and your ability to talk to the dead. <laughs> I'm lost in it again. I gotta come out. I gotta like walk backwards <laughs> out of whatever bit I'm in right now. Okay. I love you. <laughs> so. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. June 17th, 1922. Lady Doyle, Sir Arthur's second wife. Um, the so the two families are on vacation together in Atlantic City. Okay. Because oh, they are still yikes. close. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Lady Doyle gives Houdini a seance in which she tries to channel Houdini's beloved mother Cecilia mm, via mm, mm, mm. automatic writing. Love you, son. <laughs> Eat your vegetables. Yeah. So she basically said, like, I feel the spirit of your mother. I would love to do a seance for you. And he says, like. Okay, like, whatever. Um, <laughs> Houdini just doesn't have any boundaries. Is he's what like, it I'll, like, I'll have a seance. Like, I can't promise anything. Um, I promise you, if either one of us ever loses someone we care about, I'm never going to be like, I can talk to him now. Do you want to hear I can write you a note exactly. from them. Do you want it? <laughs> I think I know what they'd say to you. <laughs> I love you. That's it. That's all I got. Hey, that thing you're worried about right now, don't be. Oh, they knew I had anxiety? (laughs) Whoa! (laughs) A wizard! 
Oh my god. Okay. I know just enough of the crime to have to talk to you, but not enough crime to solve it. ABC's the medium every night, <laughs> 7 p.m. My parents, we gotta watch this. We gotta <laughs> Okay, so automatic writing is writing said to be produced by a spiritual, occult, or subconscious agency rather Mm. than the conscious intention of the writer. Bess, Harry Houdini's wife, did warn Harry that Lady Doyle had been kind of prodding Bess about Harry's mom. Oh, yeah, she has. Yeah, his wife's. All wives and all of the stories you share are the most sane, normal people. They're, They're like, like, it's a trap, and I've already been probed. And he's like, I don't know, maybe give her a chance. <laughs> Harry's like, he's my friend, though. Would you not trust a woman named Lady Doyle? Yeah, I would not trust doilies. <laughs> <laughs> that's all that's been in my head for like five minutes now. Okay, so Lady Doyle begins the automatic writing seance. She writes a letter Um, from Cecilia to Harry Houdini. (laughs) The letter is in English. Mm, It has a cross his Hungarian mother. Ooh, his Jewish Hungarian mother. And is written the day after her birthday, with no mention of the birthday. Mm. Yeah, so Harry's mother did not speak English, never learned, always spoke Hungarian. Right. Yeah. Houdini's mother was also Jewish, mm. wife of a rabbi. Right. Would not have written, put the cross <laughs> right. on the note. Her birthday was the day before the seance, and this was not mentioned. <laughs> so Houdini's like, this is a load of hooey. Um, but he's like... Shocking, no one. But I like Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, so I'm just, I'm just going to say, like, thank you for the seance. And then leave. <laughs> Every person's been like, no, no, the person you're dating, they're... They're cool. Yeah, they're cool. Fast forward a month later. You aren't dating anymore? Thank God. I can unfollow them on <laughs> yeah, Instagram. Oh, God. I'm so sick of oh seeing their stories. I had already muted them, but now I can just fully unfollow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> this is the millennial experience. That was my ex. We all went to state colleges and had to navigate that somehow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So Arthur Conan Doyle takes the fact that Houdini doesn't like say anything bad about the seance mm. as the fact that Houdini has now been swayed to the side of spiritualism. Of course. <laughs> and he announces so publicly. <gasps> oh. And Houdini... You gotta have better, like, you have to have a higher level than we do on this podcast. I shared a letter from a fan and I was like, and I haven't been given permission to share their name, so I won't. And then when I got their like permission, yeah. I was like, and their name is Jane. It yeah. was like the most... <laughs> okay. And I didn't even do No one cared. He's yeah. here like, Harry Houdini, the magician, supports me. Because he's a magician. Exactly. He gets it. Okay. okay. And so Houdini can't let this go. Yeah, I and get so that. And so he sets the record straight and is also mm. like, and also, she like did not contact my mother. Right, right, right. Um, Doyle, Keep my mom's name out your mouth. Yes, yeah. exactly. She spoke Hungarian. When's Houdana going to come back in here? <laughs> I think we don't talk about him oh, anymore. Okay, okay. Um, so Doyle responds <laughs> defensively, obviously. So now Houdini is in a very public debate with yes. one of the greatest known intellectuals of their time. And this drives Houdini, A, insane, right. B, to go after mediums. <laughs> <laughs> Men will totally be like unmasking frauds as opposed to like go to therapy. Yeah. <laughs> like maybe I really wanted to contact my mom and that's why this is so disappointing. I'm so mad at you and my 
a course of action will be to attack the Long Island medium. Yes. So this public disagreement lasts years. I love that. Can I? Yes, I'm going to have to it. jump in real quick. There was, fuck, who was it? It was a comedian, and I love them, though. And she was like, yeah, like, I kind of got into, like, some magic stuff for a little bit, and I got this big crystal ball, and the person who sold it to me was like, okay, when you're not using it in the house, like, put a drapery or something over it. And she that. was like, oh, because it's, like, magic? Oh, and he was like, stuff. no, it's a glass ball, and it'll burn your house down. <laughs> <laughs> the sun catches it. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> That wow! You even knew where it was coming to. It I was did. like it was going to. But it was still surprising. It's so good to hear because you're like, that's a funny thought. No, for reals, it'll you burn your house down. Ball, you gotta keep it in a box or something when you're not using it, or else it'll burn your house down. Yeah. So, uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle is on this lecture tour in the mm. U.S. And so Houdini's response is to also go on a lecture tour. <laughs> <around the US. laughs> They just keep stitching each other's perfection. Yes, tours. until like the video of the first <laughs> of the first video is like not even recognizable. Yeah, that's literally what's happening. Um, Houdini called Conan Doyle, quote, one of the greatest dupes oh. before Congress. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> love that he got a ticket to that. Don't know why they called him in. He was campaigning for a bill that outlawed fortune telling. Oh. <laughs> I just, I feel like federal government in the 1920s was so much funnier. Obviously, they're like still committing atrocities. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying any of that's good, but they're like, when are we going to get a handle on this fortune telling? Coke, Coca Cola? Nice, thanks so much. <laughs> well, my baby took his heroin medicine, and now he's real quiet. <laughs> My husband went in for a bloodletting appointment the other day. Well, then he had a then he had a heroin enema and didn't improve. <laughs> what is this health insurance for, even? So he's like, ban my friend Sir Arthur, and I guess all magicians, yeah. but mainly him. Exactly. He could have gone on a hunger strike or something, dangled from a crane. Or, okay. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Doyle, during this time, continued to express that he believed Houdini was a medium. In denial. <laughs> That's actually so much funnier. And he had a great PR person because this is Houdini's running around being like, don't listen to that man. That man was like a magician, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> we can appreciate his work. He isn't accepting who the he is. The Magi yet. is upset. <laughs> we should be fearful of his powers. <laughs> because he has not accepted them yet and does not know the length of which he will go. He does not know what he speaks for a spirit possesses him. <laughs> Just the epitome of gaslighting. Exactly! But he's <laughs> like, no, no, it's all just tricks. Be gone, <laughs> wicked spirit, and bring our truth teller back. <laughs> Well, you know, Houdini, it's just a phase. It'll pass. You'll accept your true self She's one like day. He's like re him with a magician. He's going to a, a therapeutic <laughs> camp. Hosted by Mike Pence. <laughs> Did you see that skit with no. SNL where Mike Pence sits down and immediately goes, I'm sorry, waiter, could you, uh, could you take the Mrs. Butterworth from the table? My wife's not here. <laughs> Yes, I that. Oh my god. Okay. Um, Doyle is quoted saying around this time, quote, the spirit world might well be incensed against him for using psychic powers at the very time when he was attacking them. 
Houdini called Doyle naive and gullible. <laughs> Doyle's over here like, I'm a bitch, I'm a fighter, I'm a lover, I'm a, I'm a spirit, I'm a spirit. Like he's just over here like, yeah. I am who I am. Houdini and I are both truth tellers. <laughs> I'm just not magic like he is. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so much better than anything I knew about Houdini before oh, all of this. Houdini's just like, no, like, I'm just good at tricking you. Like the inverse of Halloween. He's like, I'm not magic. And they're like, exactly what a wizard would say. It's like the Salem Witch Trials. Like, we throwed him in rivers that he's lived. How could he do that? He's like, I can tell you. I wrote several books on how I did it. <laughs> we'll never know, because he's magic. <laughs> I will go before court and tell you how I did that. He's like, enough out of you, witch. Don't make me have my wife call your mother again. <laughs> Recently converted, suddenly English-speaking Hungarian Jewish mother of yours. <laughs> she will put you in your place. She will be very disappointed. <laughs> She'll be very disappointed oh. even though she let you follow your oh. dreams. Do you think your mother, who supported you always, would like to see you like this? <laughs> So Houdini called Doyle naive and gullible, citing something called the Cottingly Fairies. It's just so hard. It's so easy to forget in the story that Doyle wrote Sherlock Holmes. That is not even like a crazy random. I know. The author of Sherlock Holmes is like he's magic, and Houdini's like I'm literally not. I'm not even leaving you clues. I'm literally telling you. It's such a crazy relationship. <laughs> so. <laughs> so Houdini mm. called Doyle naive and gullible, citing something called the Cottingly Fairies. The Cottingly Fairies is a famous photograph that these two young girls took because they claimed to see fairies in their garden. And a lot of people were like, Literally what? <laughs> <laughs> and so one of the articles, I didn't write it down, pointed out Sherlock Holmes would have noticed that there is a breeze going through the trees and not the wings of the fairies. Mm. And so that seems sus. Mm. Um, however, Doyle wrote a whole book to show his belief in the photo. God, is writing a book actually a lot easier? It's kind of a <laughs> bucket list thing for me. They're all I writing don't... so many books. <laughs> well, they have so much time, they're working like one hour a week <laughs> on a lecture tour. True. Um, so, The Coming of Fairies was published, and then the girls admitted that the fairies were uh, cutouts from a book that they hung by like wires to take the picture. Ironically, one of Doyle's stories was in that same book. <laughs> <laughs> they took the fairies. <laughs> and Eugene was like, you're going to believe this guy? He's a dumbass. And they're like, he's a scholar. What, you think it's easy to write a book? Yes, I do know. He's actually. like, I've written six. I do. Also, <laughs> <laughs> how believable is this photo of cutout fairies? I don't know. He's selling it for you. Can you see the wire in it? I didn't look it up to be told. Okay. So, 
1924, this is like the beginning of their last, like, final battle between Houdini and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. <laughs> it's like a Pokemon battle. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Houdini chooses truth. <laughs> Doyle chooses a love of the whimsy. <laughs> Doyle chooses a veiled threat. Use gaslighting. It's super effective. <laughs> Sir Arthur Conan Doyle has a friend or something that works at the Scientific American, and he convinces them, or they do it on their own, I'm not totally sure. They offer a, a reward of, one source said 2,500, okay. another source said 5,000. Either way, that's either $44,000 or $88,000. Okay. To any medium who could produce a physical manifestation of spirit communications under intense test conditions. Okay. So, like, they need to produce a sound, or there, it was famous, or it was popular around this time for mediums to produce ectoplasm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a lot about okay. the ectoplasm that I won't necessarily get into. This is, like, Patreon content for sure. Yeah. Um, also, every story you share, I'm like, God, before... 1970, you could literally do anything do you want anything. with like $60,000. Like, that was enough to get people to lose their minds. <laughs> <laughs> One annual salary by today's standards. People are like, I'll do it! Exactly. I will abandon everything <laughs> to prove ectoplasm is real. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, the long story short of the ectoplasm is that it's only, it's said that only like really strong mediums can produce it and it's said to kind of be the barrier between worlds and so it'll like kind of show up sometimes. Okay. Around this time is when gynecology was mm, really becoming. No. And women were typically God, the ones producing ectoplasm. If you'd given me a hundred guesses, I don't know if I would have gotten to gynecology. Anyway, they're probably hiding stuff in places oh. and then producing it when it's convenient for them in the seance. And no anyway. one's weird about where it's coming from? No one really knows that oh. there is a place for women to be hiding They're that like, kind of my thing. hands are sticky! <laughs> <laughs> They're like, see, there's nothing in my belly button. <laughs> Nowhere else anything Check to be. Check my boobs, bet you won't. Anyways, <laughs> ectoplasm. Yes. Okay, so that's one of the physical manifestations they can produce, okay. and then there needs to be a jury of their chosen people to be oh, at the seance. Jury? Okay. No, 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 of oh, the Scientific okay. American. Okay. Yeah, um, this jury include I think it's around five people, include psychologists, physicists, and mathematicians from Harvard and MIT and other top institutions. It was considered the acid test of spiritualism. One of the people is William McDougall. He's the chairman of the Harvard Psychology Department and the president of the American Society for Cyclical Research, which is still around today. Uh, Daniel Frost Comstock, who is a respected physicist and engineer and professor at MIT. He is, um, he is the one that introduced Technicolor to film. Oh, okay. Yes, Walter Franklin Now in Technicolor. <laughs> now That's in an Technicolor. Atlantic City. <laughs> <laughs> Atlantic City. My wife can call your dead mother. <laughs> Come now. Okay, so Walter Franklin Price. Prince is a PhD from Yale. He explored a number of purportedly supernatural events, always able to offer natural explanations. Good. Another one is Harold Carrington. He's a writer and um, also a kind of magician who specialized in exposing fakes. And also Houdini. He, Houdini's on this committee too? Yes. Okay, so the, the committee is full of people who are actively, professionally 
not believing in yes. this. Okay, okay, yes. okay, okay. Um, All right, I'm here for now. All right. Together, they eventually exposed many fraudulent spiritualists, but they had a hard time for a while convincing any mediums to sign up. Oh, yeah, I could. Yeah. Sign up. Let us ruin your entire exactly. profession. Um, and one of the people who was trying to get mediums to sign up was Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And I guess Houdini at some point described it as like embarrassing for Sir Arthur Conan Doyle because he couldn't get anyone to try and compete. This is so sad for my former friend <laughs> and now nemesis. <laughs> so they finally get someone to compete. Her name is... Marjorie Crandon. Her real name is not Marjorie, it's Mina. They called her Marjorie to protect her identity. She is known as the witch of... Oh, shit, what's it called? I hope it's like the witch of, like, Louisville, Kentucky. I hope it's like (laughs) a weird spot. No, it's Boston. Oh, okay. The witch... Uh, It was the name of the street that she lived on. It starts with an L. I want to say it was like Lime Street or something. She is an upper-class Boston medium. In her history, she is the wife of a prominent Harvard-trained gynecologist. Mm. Not has anything that has nothing to do with what I said earlier about gynecology. Um, Anyway, Dr. Crandon (laughs) is quite a bit older than Mina Crandon, and was initially the one to take an interest in spiritualism and quickly became obsessed, saying, quote, I couldn't understand it. It did not fit into any pattern I had previously known about science. She's a learned woman, but now she's also a medium herself. We'll get there. Okay. Mina Crandon initially disparaged uh, her husband's interest, joking that as a gynecologist, he, quote, uh, naturally, he was interested in exploring the netherworld. <laughs> That That's is so funny. hilarious. Shirt, shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, but she also said, like, a seance sounds like fun. Sure. So I think it's you and I's opinion about this right? 100%. I was like, yeah, I'd go. Candles um, in a room, fun. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so it's possible her marriage was troubled um, around this time. And so she began showing an interest in this because her husband, who is quite a bit older than her, was, uh, I guess, going through a kind of a depressive episode, was intensely hardworking, but oh. also obsessed with spiritualism. And so she was like, so it's a way for them to get closer to together and so she was like i'll join God, this story has some turns i to know it. <laughs> okay so mina went to a seance and the medium who was a local minister claimed to contact the spirit of mina's uh deceased brother walter who had died in a tragic railroad accident when he was young okay. um like in his early 20s i think uh the minister told her that she, quote she had rare powers and would soon know of it and all soon all would know of it Not long after this, the Crandons hosted a party with an unusual idea. It was to find a ghost in their home. Okay. Mrs. Crandon found it absurd. party thing. Yeah. And said, (laughs) quote, they were all so solemn about it that I couldn't help laughing. Mm. So the participants kind of did a seance. They all linked hands in a circle around a table. And then the table started to vibrate, eventually crashing to the floor. To figure out who the medium was, they all left one at a time. And then when Mina left, the table stopped vibrating. And so they're like, that's the one. Mm. And so Dr. Crandon's at this point is like trying to convince Mina to really work on her medium abilities and strengthen them. So the Crandons continue their experience experiments. Everyone who attended said that remarkable things happened there. They would hear rapping noises and movements on the table or around the table. Mina appeared to be possessed by the spirit of her brother, Walter, who spoke through her in a voice that was clearly not her own. Walter was apparently very funny, lively, delightful, and engagingly coarse and profane. And let me guess, her husband's depression cured right on up, too, oh, God, right? I don't know. <laughs> 
<laughs> Finally, my wife gets it. <laughs> ah, Walter. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things with mediums is a lot of them will have like a spirit that they identify with. Um, okay. That helps them kind of get through to the other side. Oh, so it's often like like a voyager. No, like like in this case, it's her brother. So Who it will, would like, be help bring her to the other yes, side. Yes, that will help. Like kind of like that spirit might help get other spirits to like the person on the on the living okay. side. Okay. <clears throat> So Walter seems to be that for her. Um, it's said that her performance, if a deception, suggested a magician's talent rivaling, rivaling Houdini. <laughs> so no magic at all. Gotcha. <laughs> if she, as she grew in fame, members of Harvard's community, because her husband is a Harvard grad, tried to debunk her. And while several suspected fraud, quote, spirit humbug, <laughs> none could explain what they experienced. Mina performed in Paris and London. She even performed in front of more investigators there. She would, like, make a table rise and float, do all of her normal stuff. The Crandons became close with Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who swore by... The author of Sherlock Holmes. Who swore by, quote, the truth and range of her powers. Okay. James Malcolm Byrd, the Scientific American editor, saw Mina in Boston, struck by her sincerity, elegance, and a wicked sense of humor... Um, in the seances, he saw flashes of light, raps, whistles, cool breezes. Um, Bird was the one who invited Mina to enter the magazine's contest. Mina Crandon performed in front of several members of the jury, Comstock, McDougal, and Carrington, so almost all of them, all of whom came in skeptics and some remained skeptics, but none could find evidence for her to be a fraud. Prince also became one of these. So that's four of the five. Okay. All appeared to endorse her to Except win the money. Houdini. Yes. Okay. So Bird wrote <laughs> in the Scientific American, quote, the initial probability of genuineness is much greater than any previous case which the committee has handled. Mm. Um, there's a headline in the New York Times saying Marjorie passes all psychic tests. There's a headline in the Boston Herald saying four or five men chosen to bestow award. Sure, she is 100% genuine. This made Houdini... Four or five dentists support <laughs> dentine gum. This made Houdini fucking piss. <laughs> He's like, you guys don't even know. You guys don't even know. And, Houdini, and you get slack in your shoulders. You can just... You can make a vote. <laughs> Like, I'm 100% on Houdini's side, yeah. and this man is so angry at the world, he's losing it a little. <laughs> no, at least in I my mind. I would be too. Yeah. If I was like, it's not magic, it's all trick, and everyone's like, you're magic, Four of four men and zero out of one magicians <laughs> believe she's right. Um, so he makes his way as quickly as he can to Boston, and he tells Bird, you guys cannot award this prize until... I mm. see her talents I for dissect. myself. Nice. Yes. And so they're like, fine. This made Dr. Crandon mad, mean his husband. And he wrote to Doyle saying, quote, my deep regret is that this low-minded Jew had any oh. claim on the word American. Oh, so just deeply anti-Semite, anti xenophobic. Racist. Just like. Yikes. And keep in mind, oh, this, fuck that. Yeah, this entire time, while Houdini is not from the U.S., he loves the United States. He's probably a U.S. citizen. Yeah, and he identifies, he never really says, I'm from Hungary. He says, I'm American. Right. Always, because he loves America. And so, so this guy, to say this about him is like... intentionally slander. Like, yes. it's, an, it's an intentional attack. Yeah, it's intentionally like, he's not even American. Okay. Yeah. So Miss Crandon, on the other hand, is proud to receive him. Houdini has been famous since she was young. Mm. And so she's like... 
excited, kind of, right. I think, to see him. She found him polite, curious, dignified, and even enchanting. It's reminded me of like the X Factor or American Idol yeah. when people go in and I was like, I listened to you as a kid, Katy Perry. And, and they're, they're like, like okay. here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Just hands. Um, okay, so Mina did the standard performance for him. Um, he demanded to be seated, I think, directly to her left. He wanted to be as close to her as possible to mm. be able to feel if she was like moving around once the sure. lights were off. Um, so she is still turning the lights off. Most light seances will. Okay. Yes. Um, so the table suddenly fell over. There's a bell box that seemed to ring of its own accord, a moving cabinet, a Victrola, which slowed and stopped on its own. Afterwards, when he's being taken back to the hotel with some of his, like, some of the other people of the jury, he's asked about the performance and he replied, all fraud, every bit of it. <sighs> but he didn't, like, want to expose her right away. He right. wanted to, like, really gather information. So. Right. I didn't write this down because I got stressed at the end. But about a month later, he had a box specifically designed for her. They called it the um, Maggie box, I think. Okay. Where, because he was convinced she's sitting in the seance room and somehow they like hold hands. And so it's it would be harder for her to like get her hand free to do things. Right. Um, he's convinced that she's doing things with her feet kind right, of around the room yeah. or like trying to like, or figuring out a way to kind of like let go of someone's hands without them noticing. Right. Or something like that. So he cre creates a box where her feet are trapped in the box. It's just like her hands outside and mm. her head. So she can still hold hands, but she can't like really Ooh, do anything. Spooky. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, regardless of this, Houdini and Miss Crandon remained on excellent terms. Mm. Houdini was reportedly charmed by her beauty. There's a mm. photograph taken, which Miss Crandon asked to keep private, where they look very affectionate towards each other. Oh. Houdini is leaning. Okay, so they have a relationship. Wait. Wait, wait. <laughs> I love the 1920s. <laughs> Houdini is leaning in very close, and Mina looks to be turning towards him to like be expecting a kiss or something. Mm. They're smiling at each other affectionately while Houdini's holding one of her hands. Okay. Houdini was typically very formal with women, so this was not right. like usual for him. Um, after observing her very closely on several occasions over the course of a couple months, the first seance is the only one that happened at her house. The okay. remainder happened like at a hotel Elsewhere, or in sure. other places. Houdini began to figure out and specify exactly how she did some of the most <sighs> impressive effects. Miss Crandon has produced, quote, the slickest ruse I have ever detected, and it has converted all skeptics. Pull them receipts, Houdini. Let's hear this. It has taken my 30 years of experience to detect her in her various moves. In November of 1924, that same year, he wrote a very long pamphlet okay. with drawings showing how Mina was able to create the effect of her seances. A lot of the seances done in the dark, so Mina was able to maneuver her body in such a way to create many of the effects, ringing a, the bell box with her leg. And he said, quote, she is an unusually strong, she is unusually strong and has an athletic body, so she can mm. press her wrist so firmly into the arms of her chair that she can move her body um, and sway it at will, kind of without people around her detecting her. So she okay. has like the arms of her chair. She's pressing down into it while still holding hands and right. still able to like kind of like move things around. Impressive for someone who's like not a full time yeah. like illusionist like Houdini is to exactly. be able to just kind of know how to do this kind like, of figure stuff. Like figure that shit out. Yeah. Yeah. So he was She's able. She's a natural. <laughs> <laughs> She's a natural. Yeah. So he was able to replicate many, but not all, oh. of her effects. 
Mina's defenders were unconvinced and accused Houdini of making up mm. his mind before going to the seances. Doyle denounced Houdini as prejudiced and dishonest, and this was the final straw yeah. in their friendship. This Calling is really him a liar in the it. press. Yeah. Yes. February 12th of 1925, so beginning of the next year, Scientific American published their official verdict that Houdini was correct. <gasps> Prince and McDougal caught on to Houdini's descriptions and agreed with him that she was tricking everyone. Mm. Carrington was the only dissenter and remained convinced that something genuine happened here. It was later revealed that Mina and Carrington had an affair. There it is. Because mm-hmm. she's naturally athletic. Bird, who is like uh, one He's of... He's the publisher, yes. right? Yeah. Also also claimed to have an affair with her, but Mina never... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, you can't use the word claim like that yeah. without it being hilarious. I know. But while Mina acknowledged the affair that she had with Carrington, she never confirmed this affair <laughs> and also called him repulsive and disgusting. So she was like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. no, no. I mean, I held his hand once during a but seance, like, no. but no. No, 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 no. Yeah. So Prince and McDougal also claimed that she had also attempted to seduce him. And Houdini had also later said that she was like pretty obviously trying to like seduce him as well. He was like, haha, jokes was on her. I don't like women. <laughs> <laughs> and Bess is like, bro. <laughs> She's like, touch my breast. He's like, no. <laughs> Stop asking me to do that. <laughs> Your wrists are strong, and that is kind of interesting to me, but like, I don't, I don't Ooh, want this. Weird, yeah. Okay, <laughs> this was not the end of her career, though. Good. Many still believed in her powers. Houdini was still unable to debunk some of her some of her feats, and he acknowledged that, saying, quote, the lady is subtle. Mm. Life magazine said... In some areas, at least. <laughs> Life magazine said that she was, quote, almost as hard to bury as the League of Nations. <laughs> Did it, though. We pulled it it off. (laughs) I love that quote. (laughs) That's so great. So as investigations interact continued over the years, um, her credibility started to break down. The um, American Society of Cyclical Research, I think, Mm. did like a week's long kind of investigation into her into like their own facilities and it really kind of broke down and she kind of started acting like you know at the beginning when the trumpet mm. medium was like I'm dead yeah so you killed my room and now uh, it's on fire <laughs> <laughs> she kind of had some reactions like that where she was like it was kind mm. of like an act of desperation she is up yeah yeah so in the night although in the name of getting closer to her husband at least initially yeah this and is why then I will she never get married also found some attractive men along the way um, and some of them found her attractive too she found some unattractive ones as well sounds like she found some real uggs yeah true <laughs> um in 19 in the 1930s bird even confessed that he had caught her in fraud saying something mm. like i don't think i saved this quote but he said something like if chosen if had if Left to choose between a blank seance and fraud, Mina would choose fraud. So as in like, um, bird, <laughs> things are coming out. Bird's like, I also had an affair with her. Mina's it's like, like no. no. And Bird was like, I knew she was lying the whole time. <laughs> that just are, proves she's a liar. Men are men regardless of the True. year, the social situation, their own status. Men are the only denominator in every single story. The least surprising behavior comes out of them. <laughs> Okay, so one of her feats was having like a hand kind of appear, mm. and this is supposed to be the hand of Walter, and of he leaves a fingerprint in some wax on the table, and that's like one of the things that like they could never really figure out. They did figure out that the hand would not appear unless Dr. Crandon was at the seance with her, so it was pretty clear that oh, he was doing it. he's in on it, okay. Yes, he was in on it, and the <laughs> fingerprint 
that was left in the wax uh, was matched the fingerprint of her dentist. Has anyone seen Walter and Dr. Crandon in the same room at the same time? All I'm ah! trying to say. <laughs> um, at some point, it's said that Mina even solicited help from Houdini to produce some of her later oh. effects. She's like, hey, you get it. You get it. But yeah. like, I'm a, I'm a magician. Mm. You're a magician. He's like, I'm not a, she's like, I know, but, I know, like, but uh, like, how could I do this? Exactly. <laughs> how could I pull ectoplasm <laughs> from my nether? <laughs> how, can you, how can I explore the nether regions and then you explore my nether regions? Mm-hmm. Was Houdini attractive? He, I can show you a picture I'm gonna in Google a second. Him. Oh, do you have one? I have a couple. So that's him with his mom. This is him in the water torture cell. Nice. That Chinese one. Yeah, actually, he's kind of ripped. Has a good torso to him. I know. Uh, this is him and Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. God, it's like they look super regular and human, but they're like they look underwear is a little long. Yeah. There's like, his like collar is like a little too big. It's just. It's very 20s. Uh, this is um, Mina and Houdini. Mm. This is like the advertisement. Honestly, they make a great couple. I ship right? them. Right? Right? <laughs> oh, and, and this. All the links. Oh my God. This is the uh, automatic writing. Mm. That she did. Oh, with a cross at the top? Yes. All written in... It just feels like... And there's a lot of underlining going on. Yeah, I think this... I think it was on several pieces of paper, and I think it says something like, um, oh, my dear son, like, of course I want to talk to you, or something like that. Okay, so the most generic thing a mother could possibly say. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is the one then with the glass, and then... Mm -hmm. Okay, interesting. Yeah. I didn't actually envision his feet sticking out. That's kind of funny. right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right. Okay. Those will all be posted on our Instagram for you. Boom, boom. And now... Boom. We're going to talk about Houdini's... That wasn't it? We have one last thing. Oh, okay. Houdini's death. Oh, okay. But you said it was kind of fun, and the look you're giving me, I'm excited about it. Yes. It's kind of funny. Was it too much wine and meat? Like, how do you think he died? Um, I think he's doing like a really regular trick and no one notices that he's actually struggling and he passes away. That would be if I had to give an honest answer. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, like hit by a car. (laughs) Multiple (laughs) times. Our first car accident victim. (laughs) The 1950s because they're trying to kill him. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead. Um, this is at, it was never clear if this was a woman or a man. I would assume With a man. With a name like Jocelyn? I would assume a woman, but some yeah. of the things that happens, it makes me think man. Women can drive. No, that's oh, okay. not what I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, the long pause after no was like, no, women can drive. Women can my, drive. That's not what I'm talking about. It. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, so Houdini is doing a show in Montreal in October of 1926. He's at the okay. Princess Theater. He's in his dressing room before the show. Jocelyn Gordon Whitehead is in the dressing room with him for whatever reason. And he asks Houdini if he believes in the miracles of the Bible and whether or not it was true that punches in the stomach did not hurt him. Oh. And Houdini said that his stomach... that line of questions. Houdini said that his stomach could endure a lot. He used to do a trick where you could punch his stomach and it wouldn't affect him because he was like bracing, right? Without warning, Whitehead suddenly delivers some very hammer-like blows to his stomach and like under the belt. Ooh, so he's not bracing or anything. No, and Houdini had to stop him and he had to tell Whitehead that uh, he did not have the opportunity to prepare himself. And so that was like not super chill. Houdini performed through intense pain and eventually went to a doctor who diagnosed him with acute appendicitis and he was advised to immediately go into surgery. But 
The show must go on, Shut babes. <laughs> so he declined and went on with the show and continued performing. His last performance was at the Garrick Theater in Detroit on October 24th of huh. 1926. He had a fever of 104 degrees. Oh, he's boiling that water. He reportedly passed out mid-show due to the pain and was awakened, and he continued and finished the show. Oh, what? After that, he was hospitalized in Detroit, and he died from perioton periotonitis which From i guess bleeding inside. yeah which is yeah part of appendicitis i guess and he died on october 31st at the age of 50 do they go arrest jocelyn for this for assault i don't know okay um so this is this next part is the part that i didn't get a chance to like put into note format i can see it like, yeah it's in like a just, different text yeah <laughs> um I'm just going to read this as it is. Um, this is from Wild About Houdini. It's this guy that's putting together a like full on, uh, what do you call it? When it's like listed out date by date and it like... Like a chronological yeah, timeline. Chronological, yeah, chronological... Chronology of Houdini's like whole life. And he's also okay. like written a couple books. He does a lot of like really interesting stuff. So he's stuff. wild about Houdini. Yeah, you could say. <laughs> um, so he says, after Houdini's sudden death... In October of 1926, Sir Arthur wrote Bess a heartfelt letter of condolence ending with, I am sure that with strength of character and possibly his desire to make reparation, he will come back. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, it's at least he's not like, hey, don't worry, I've already talked to him. Yeah. But he's like, hey, all the best. I was right. All the best. <laughs> All the best. Go to a sale. <laughs> I have a really great medium. To All the best. Mina's actually already talked to him. It's nuts. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. So as thanks, um, or maybe not as thanks, I don't know. Bess had, prior to dying, Houdini had been um, buying some of the artwork that Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's father had produced that he had found at an auction. Okay. And he, it was like a friend thing. Like he found this and he, his plan I think was always to send it to Sir Arthur Conan okay. Doyle being like, I found this stuff of your father's. I bet like you would want it. So Bess sends him a portfolio of the artwork that Houdini had acquired at an auction. Doyle wrote her in return. The book arrived and filled me with surprise. It really seems like a series of miracles. First, that it should exist still, then that it should cross the Atlantic, and finally that it should come back home. I accept it as a peace offering from your husband and thank him as well as you. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle died on July 7th of 1930. He never wavered from his belief that his former friend was, quote, the greatest physical medium of modern times. That's such a wild thing to die on. Like yes. a crazy hill to die on. My favorite thing is this ending. So Houdini himself debunked medium. This is from a different source. Houdini himself debunked mediums and proved most were frauds. He and his wife made a deal that mm. before either of them died, whoever was to die first was to come to the one that was living to show that spirits were real. And so every year on the anniversary of his death on Halloween, Bess hosted a seance for, I think, like 10 years before someone else took it over. And um, Houdini had given her a code, and I believe it was a song or okay. something, um, so that she would know it was him. And he never... Someone... So yeah. he was so for sure in his belief. He was like, if we're wrong, we will come back and tell each other we're wrong, and we'll use mm -hmm. this quote 
That's a strong marriage. I right? love that. That's so cool. Yeah. Also, the uh, Houdini thing and the pictures, it reminds me of one of my, uh, a story I heard. So Elton John and Freddie Mercury were friends mm-hmm. way, way, way in the early days when obviously Freddie Mercury was still with us. Yeah. And they apparently had like drag or pet names for each other. I love that. And Freddie Mercury was diagnosed with HIV AIDS and knew he was dying and had apparently like planned out a couple gifts. And so the first Christmas after he died, Elton John opens up this mystery package and it's from his deceased friend. And on the back, it's like with love and then the pet name they had for each other. (laughs) Isn't that so sweet? That's so heart wrenching. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. Anyway. Because I have no other big life story to tell. I think Houdini is so much cooler than I had ever. Like, Houdini feels like he belongs in the same category of things that, like, dinosaurs do. Yeah. Which is, like, you get really into him when you're a child. Yeah. And then whenever you see him then later on as an adult, you're like, oh, yeah. Yeah, That's like Houdini. I mean, I get it, but sure. Yeah. But no, like the fact that Houdini, his 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 first half of his career was you know illusionist, whatever, mm-hmm. and the second half of his career was disproving magic yeah. and mediums. That's so much funnier and so Hilarious. much more interesting. And the fact that he had lifelong beef and friendship with the author of Sherlock Holmes <laughs> is this also insane additional detail to all of it. It's crazy. Crazy. Proud American, Mina Hayton, just True. Uh, lover of his wife, Bess. I know. Uh, you did. You. I've said this time and time again. <laughs> you do such a good job with your research. I will come in and I'll be like, I have two surprises. Here's the first one. <laughs> and you're like, every five to ten minutes, you're like, and then we're going to meet this other character for a second. <laughs> it's like, what's going on? And I love that so much. Like, if there's a certain moment in this podcast where you're explaining to me how he did this trick. And I was like, yeah, this is, like, legitimately interesting. Yeah. And someone said on Patreon, this is legitimately, like, a delicious wig. <laughs> <laughs> bring it back. Bring it back. But, like, just, there's so many layers to this. And yeah. This is why we do this. I'm going to talk about this the next time we're around people. The number of times, I've literally brought this story up like three times in the last 72 hours. I'm like, did you know? What do you think Houdini and Sherlock Holmes have in common? They hated each other, but also <laughs> loved, loved each, each other. loved each other a little bit. Yeah. And like served in a lot of group projects I together. I love the example where he's like, see, it's a trick. <laughs> Bravo, magician. Bravo. <laughs> You are dumb. <laughs> also, yeah, because I completely forgot that you were like, and then he just says something totally uh, sh- nonsense, meanie, meanie, techo, yeah. farce. And, like, and I was like, oh, oh wait. wait, the old Hebrew saying? Which makes it so much more <laughs> ominous because yes. you know Conan Doyle was like, he'll never get exactly. this. Exactly. And then it appears on the wall in front of him. He's like, holy shit, it's the and, hand of God. He's like, I have fooled you. I have fooled you. <laughs> <gasps> oh Honest God. to God, well done. Thank you. You're a magician. 
No, I am not. You also <laughs> set the bar quite high for uh, smoke and mirrors. In a lot of ways, like, oh, sure, smoke and mirrors, this makes sense. But also, none of this is what I expected or predicted. It's smoke and mirrors. Question <laughs> 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 mark. Like, uh, what's the title of this? Smoke and mirrors part one. I don't know. I haven't. I didn't. I thought I was like spiritual meanie, meanie, <laughs> I think it would be like, or I thought I was thinking like spiritual rivalry or something like that, but mm. I don't know. I'll let you think of it. I'll work on it. You okay. know this is one of my favorite things to do, is I to like wrestle aware. with the title. Yeah. I'm going back and forth between like, is a cryptic title, like Gossip, 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 yeah. better? Or is like a Free Britney, like, it was like, yeah. a plan. <laughs> like here it is, you know? <laughs> well, well done. Thank well you. done. All right. Well, um, find us. Hold on. I oh, think, I'm, I think I'm, you I'm, can I'm, do uh, it. Uh, find us wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on TikTok and Instagram at Well I Laughed. You can reach out to us at WellILaughedPod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to interact with us and hear more about our daily lives, you can join our Patreon and then talk with us on Discord. We've had a lot of fun chatting mm-hmm. with people. And there's bonus content on there, there as well. There is bonus content. I like to think that we are the bonus content, but it's there's just more stuff to get you through your work. <laughs> <laughs> True. And hopefully you laughed because, well... I laughed. I laughed. And I think we hit everything that we supposed to in our closing. Bye! Bye.